Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Today, Rotto Talks for episode 56 of the podcast, wherein I will be all by myself because this is a special yearly episode where I talk about a whole bunch of new exciting games that will be coming out in the coming year. Happy New Year, everybody. I know I'm a little late to the party. I can't imagine I'm the first person to wish you, but I still do, in fact, wish you a very, very happy and exciting New Year. I can certainly say it's exciting in terms of games because I've got 75 games I'm going to be going through at the top of this podcast. Then I'll be talking about new expansions coming this year. Then I will be doing a recap of all the previously covered Kickstarter games that I've done, which should be coming this year. That'll be a pretty quick section. And then I will end the podcast with my top 25 most anticipated games, which might make you think, why am I not leading with that? And the answer is because I already put that up on YouTube in video form a couple of weeks ago. So chances are you've already heard my top 25 most anticipated. But in case you haven't, I'll tack that on. I'll tack the audio from that video at the end of this podcast. And... That's right, folks, Um, because it's going to be all about 2020's games of interest. I will not be doing Q&A or Top 10 Revisits or anything like that. And uh, right, that's the sitch. And um, if you are ready, hold on and we'll be right back. Okie dokie, are you comfortable? Are you ready for a very long list? Like I said, I checked. It is, in fact, 75 games, plus the 25 that'll be coming later. And um, this is not, by any means, a thorough and complete list. There are several other games that have caught my eye, but I just don't know enough about them to warrant making it into proper games of interest status. Plus, I am only going based on what games are actually listed on BoardGameGeek. If... The publisher can't be bothered to announce to the world that a game is coming, like, say, Pandemic Legacy Season 3, or some of the Stefan Feld games that are in the queue. Looking at you, Strife and Manager. Well, I'm not going to bother talking about them. We can worry about that in the coming months. Maybe when I do my uh, games of interest for Essen or Gen Con or something like that. Right now, today, as of, what is it? This is the 11th today. Man, I am way, way late. I should have done this weeks ago. I am only talking about stuff in the database, and I'll be doing this in alphabetical order. Just just because. I, 75 games is too many games to count down. Right. Okay. So, let's start out with the Seventh Citadel, which is basically the sequel to the very popular, very well-loved Seventh Continent, which is cool news right there. But what 
is also interesting is this is not set on some mysterious island in Victorian era. This is a dark fantasy world that we will be exploring, presumably using mostly the same mechanisms of Seventh Continent, laying cards out that slowly builds up a map and uh, dealing with encounters and challenges and working cooperatively or playing solo to see if you can solve, I'm assuming, one of several different adventures. Since Seventh Continent came with a bunch, presumably this one will as well. The description on BoardGameGeek says it's actually inspired by the Fighting Fantasy book series, which I have to admit I've never read any of, but I guess those are basically choose-your-own-adventure-style books that came out in England? Is that true? Anyway, um, Seventh Continent is fantastic, and we love high fantasy. I don't know what dark fantasy is, but definitely interested, particularly because, just like Seventh Continent before, this is a very long, epic game where the developers have gone out of their way to make it very easy to, quote, save your progress, just like a video game. So, Seventh Citadel should be pretty cool. And then we've got The Adventure of D. Second edition. Now, I've heard about this a while ago, and I've been waiting for it for a long time. Uh, I actually covered the original Adventure of D years ago, and it's a super charming little fantasy adventure game that is pretty much just a deck of cards. And yet, from that deck of cards comes a very rich and fun little game. And the only problem with the original Adventure of D is oh man, is it ugly. It's got to be top five ugliest board game art of all time. And I apologize to whoever was the artist responsible. As I understand, it was just a a local friend of the designer, Jack Darwood. So, it was never much of a looker. And then on top of that, it's been out of print forever. So, it's been all but impossible to get. I kind of felt bad even covering it when I did a run-through for it years ago. Because even then, it was hard to get. But Jack is back with a second edition. I'm going to assume a more modern and pleasing art aesthetic. Fingers crossed. And I'd be totally fine with the uh, standard game brought forward and just given you know a, a spit and polish and some a new look. But... I'm also very excited about this because if you watch my original run-through, you may remember in the final thoughts, I think I complained bitterly about how insane it was that the game didn't support cooperative play. It was basically a race with everybody trying to level up as fast as they could to beat the wizard in the tower. And it was fine as a competitive game, but it seemed like such a no-brainer to turn it into a co-op game using the solo rules. Well, according to the description on BoardGameGeek, it will now support solo play. Hooray! I'm sorry, not solo play. They already sword. It'll now support cooperative play. Hooray! And so, uh, fingers crossed, this actually makes it out. It's been a long time coming for the second edition of Adventure of D. Then, we've got... I'm not sure how to pronounce this. I'm going to say Agemonia. I think. I think... Or... Agemonia? I'm not sure. Uh, As always, folks, you can just look at the show notes on this podcast to see how it's spelled. But anyway, I'm just going to go with Agemonia. And so I have to admit, with this one, I don't know much about it. I might be jumping the gun by putting it on this list. What really drew me to this fantasy cooperative dungeon crawl game is that it promises to give players a lot of challenging moral decisions uh, in an expansive storyline. Okay. Why is that interesting to me? Well, because I worked on Fable. And, you know, giving players 
challenging moral decisions is really intriguing to me, and so I hope they do it right, because this is something that most game developers always get wrong. The way to since most players tend to skew towards good, that means it's never particularly challenging to choose the good path unless you tempt people to the dark side and make all the cool loot and whatnot always be on that side of the fence. So if you want to get all the cool things, well, you gotta bend your morals a little bit. Fingers crossed the developers understand that that's how you make for interesting, challenging moral conundrums. Maybe they won't. Um, uh, time will tell. The art looks nice. It's from a well-established publisher. I never know how to pronounce uh, Loud Palette. Uh, so... Fingers crossed they pull this off. Uh, what was it? Agemonia. Right. Then we move on to Almanac, the Crystal Peaks. Now, I have already done a run-through for the first Almanac game from uh, publisher Colossal and designer Scott Alms, Almanac, the Dragon Road. And the thing that is so cool about that game is it is a worker placement game with, I forget what, uh, a dozen or two, a dozen or two different unique worker placement boards. And every time you play the game, as you travel the Dragon Road, um, in the, which comes in the form of an almanac, a big uh, multi-page book with a bunch of boards on each page, you see the game evolve and throw all kinds of different worker placement challenges at you. And I thought the core game was wonderful. And so, this is basically the sequel, and my hope, hope, hope is that Scott Alms has maybe approached it in a slightly different way that would solve my one fundamental issue with Dragon Road, is that it requires too much dice rolling, way too much luck was involved with the core game for Jens and My Taste, which is heartbreaking, because otherwise we loved everything about it. As you can see if you watch my run-through, because the first one, Dragon Road, I think is on Kickstarter right now. So anyway, they've already announced the sequel, Crystal Peaks, and I guess it's a standalone game, which is why, fingers crossed, it maybe changes up some of the core while keeping the main core of a beautiful book of dozens of different worker placement boards that give you a unique combinatorial experience every time you play. Which is why I'm excited for Almanac, The Crystal Peaks. Then we've got... Alpha Quadrant. Okay, why did I put this on the list? Ah, this is going to be a tricky list, I should say, by the way. In pre years previous, I actually maintained a geek list where I make notes of why all these different games I'm talking about are of interest to me. I haven't done that this year because I'll be honest, I'm on the fence about not doing it at all because in years previous, it's taken me two to three hundred man hours over the course of the year to maintain that Oh, what do you call it? That geek list? My Games of Interest geek list? And I'm seriously considering not doing it. But by not doing it this year, I am making it tough for myself because I don't remember why I put Alpha Quadrant. It's uh, from a first-time designer. It is from 20th, 5th century games, and they really impressed me last year with a couple of games of theirs I played, most notably Space Explorer. Let's just take a quick looky-loo. This is a science fiction space exploration game where um, we are interstellar merchant captains racing our small uh, spacefaring trade vessels across a galaxy as we cleverly plan our course of the choice routes to reach the most valuable worlds while earning travel fees and vital navigation routes. Okay, yeah, uh, that's pretty vague. I think probably the main reason I put this on the list is because I was so impressed by 25th Century's last game, Space Explorers, that Alpha Quadrant makes my list. Yeah, a little vague, I know, but hey, I, you know, I, I, I can only keep so much packed in my brain. Sorry, folks. 
That's why I should take notes. Anyway, though, let's move on to Boomerang Australia. Now, this one I definitely remember. I've already done a run-through for Boomerang. It is a card drafting... It's a draft and write. Because instead of rolling dice and then writing down all your results, you draft cards and then write down all your results. And uh, you're trying to plan out the perfect vacation in Australia. And we love Boomerang. It was totally a keeper. Very, very cool. Might make my top 10 card drafting games of all time if I were to do, you know, what is that called? The Seven Wonder style card drafting. But anyway... I'm very excited about this because, as I understand it, Boomerang Australia is basically the same game. It's just gotten a huge makeover because the original Boomerang was brilliant gameplay, but so-so mm, in terms of presentation. It was not a very pretty-looking game. And from the art, it looks like this new one, it will look as good as it plays. And so hopefully Boomerang, or now Boomerang Australia, will find a wider... Uh, um, uh, uh, fan base because the core game it is so brilliant mixing the writing of Roland writing with the card drafting of say Seven Wonders or Sushi Go neat fun cool game very excited for Boomerang Australia plus who knows maybe they'll even update the gameplay a little bit too anyway moving right along we've got Brazil I thought about not putting this on the list, in all honesty, because I think I have mentioned this in my most anticipated games for the, like the last three years in a row. This thing has been in development from uh, Nuno uh, uh, Santiero and Paulo Soledad, the design team behind Panamax and Madeira and plenty of other games besides. Uh, you know, it, from publisher, what's your game? One of my favorite publishers. Hopefully, this is finally the year that this super monster heavy game about gold mining in 18th century Brazil finally comes out. But who knows? Um, in my top 25 games, where, spoiler alert if you haven't already watched the YouTube video, they have another game coming out uh, called AI, which is basically a heavy... Euros about artificial intelligence, so maybe Brazil will make it this year, or maybe all their focus will go to that one. I don't really know, but I feel honor-bound to play this game. It's taken so long for Brazil, that's Brazil with an S, to come out, and maybe 2020 is the year. Okay, then we've got Canopy. Oh, oh man, I'm looking at the box cover right now from Vincent Dutre. Uh, this is going to be some beautiful, beautiful artwork. Now, as for the gameplay, I have to admit, I don't know that much about it. This is not the first time that I have gone on ahead and just thrown a game on my list solely because of Vincent Dutre's wonderful art. But uh, this is a... Um, I think it's a card drafting game, yeah. About trying to basically build up the strongest jungle ecosystem uh, and trying to find uh, symbiotic relationships between the plants and animals, all the different flora and fauna of the wildlife. That sounds like a lovely bit of subject matter. It's going to have gobsmackingly gorgeous art. And um, yeah, uh, probably going to be a really sharp game. And, uh, I don't know, I'm a little nervous about this because these days, just even thinking about the rainforest is 
so depressing because of what we're doing to this world. But still, I am definitely going to seek out Canopy. Especially because it's a two-player only game, oddly. Or at least that's how it's been listed on BoardGameGeek. And so that's definitely something that's bound to attract my attention as well. Okay, that is Canopy. Then we've got Castle Von Logan, or Loghan, or Loghan. I'm just going to say Castle Von Logan. Right. And uh, this is a cooperative uh, adventure dungeon crawl game. And let's see, what was it about this one that drew me in? Hmm, let's see. Yeah, there's a very long description here. And I do recall thinking this description was terrible. I mean, it, it likes a short writes a short novel about this time travel fantasy adventure you go on. I don't care about any of this stuff. Let's see, what was it? That's right. Oh, I had to go and actually watch video interviews of the developers where they finally uh, revealed what was cool about this is that it's got a com or a combat system that reminds me a lot of the card play of Tainted Grail. That's what really drew me in. And you wouldn't know that. This is... Oh, man. I feel like ever I can't do an episode of this podcast without complaining at least once about how terrible board game developers are about writing um, evocative and eye-catching descriptions of their games. Uh, you wouldn't know it from reading the description of Castle Von Loghen, or but it might have a very, very cool combat system in this fantasy dungeon crawl time travel game. And it was the combat system that really drew me in. And what do you know? They say nothing. Thing about it. Okay, but uh, still on my list. I, I, it impressed me at the time a month ago when I was getting ready for this. So uh, keep an eye out for Castle Von Logan. Okay, then we've got Chai T42. And yeah, okay, Chai was actually a game that my wife and I played. Let me, let me make sure I've got this right. I don't want to mix this up with a different game. There was a game, yeah, yeah, called Shy, that I was originally going to cover a while ago, well over a year ago, I think, when it was on Kickstarter, uh, because I was really intrigued by the core action selection or a tile drafting mechanism for it. I thought it was very, very cool. And so I agreed to cover it. I got it. And when it arrived, Jen and I were so heartbroken because the core gameplay was really cool. A very clever kind of like sliding tile puzzle you used to get the ingredients you needed to make your chai tea, and Jen loves chai tea. But it was terribly implemented for two. Just atrocious two-player rules. I remember this. And, you know, I'm always talking about how I say no to nine out of every ten games and uh, that people ask me to cover. And then even still, occasionally, for the ones I say yes to, I will come across one that we think is so bad we just won't cover it because I like to cover things that are actually good. Chai was very clever, but it was terrible for two. And so I told the publisher, hey, I don't know if you necessarily want me to cover your game because I'll just have more bad things to say than good things. Because the core gameplay here is great, but your implementation for two players was atrocious. And they said, okay, well, we'll pass. And I don't, I don't even know if they were successful with the original Chai. But fast forward to today, and I'm here talking to you about Chai T42, which as I understand it, takes everything I loved about that game, but completely reworks a lot of the core structure of the game 
so that it will work well with two or one player. It now supports solo play as well. So I am very intrigued. I am really stoked to see if they pull this off. Uh, because, you know, man, the bones of something really special was there when Jen and I played Chai. And so I'm very interested in Chai T for two. Then we've got Contact, which is a cooperative game about you know modern day astronomers scanning the heavens, trying to you know map out the you know the the starry sky and the universe around us. Although, as I understand this, uh, you know a big part of it is trying to plot out a spaceship. Of course, I'm not really quite sure, but um, you know, mostly there's a mysterious signal coming from space. We're working cooperatively to try to figure it out, and that subject matter right there is very intriguing to me. That is enough to get me on board for contact. The developer himself, I know he's done a couple of little games here or there, but um, oh. Or you know, most notably, he was the designer of the game, which I've never played, but I've heard nothing but good things about over the year. So yeah, that's what it was. It was the subject matter plus. This is from the designer of the game, Stefan Bendorf. So those two things combined get me interested in the potential for contact, even if the developers couldn't be bothered to put anything useful or interesting on the Kickstarter or on the. Uh, Board Game Geek page. Okay, I'm going to stop complaining about that. I'm a broken record. Let's move on to the next one, which is Coraline. Beware the other mother. I think Coraline, it ha- Coraline, I guess, is a popular series of kids' books about a young girl named Coraline, I think. And I think it had a uh, animated, you know, claymation-style movie a few years ago that Jen and I enjoyed, I think. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Or maybe it's based on a a cartoon series. I don't know. The reason I put Coraline, Beware the Other Mother, on my list is because it is coming from designer Andrew Parks. And anything he does, I am definitely wanting to check out because he is definitely a really world-class designer that really you know, um, is working under the radar. Most people don't really follow him, but I definitely do. So anytime he's working on something, even if it is a thematic tie-in to a book or a TV show or whatever it is, I am definitely there. It's a cooperative game. The art looks really nice. I... I guess I'm almost positive I've seen a Coraline movie, and even still, I know nothing about the storyline. I'm just here for the Andrew Parks gameplay. Fingers crossed it delivers with Coraline, but where the other mother? Then we've got Dead Reckoning. This is another one that I hemmed and hawed about putting it on the list or not. Uh, why would I put it on the list? Because it's from John D. Clare. And can I tell you how much Jen and I love Mystic Vale and how super duper impressed we are with, oh, what was the other? Oh, uh, Edge of Darkness. And uh, yeah, uh, oh, and, you know, and a lot of people really love uh, Space Base as well. John D. Clare has definitely established himself as a powerhouse designer. He's just um, really knocking out of the park over and over and over again. And Dead Reckoning is him. It looks like kind of branching out and not relying on... Um, oh, wait, no, no, no. It is still a card crafting game. I was about to say he isn't doing the card crafting, but I think maybe it is. You card craft your crew of your pirate ship that you are going to sail the Spanish main and plunder with. So, okay. I love this card crafting games. So I'm definitely interested in it for that reason. 
there's all upside to this because uh, I love pirates as well. There's only one bit of downside, which is apparently it does feature the ability for players to directly attack and plunder each other ships. My hope, 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 hope is that the game is designed in such a way that you never feel obligated to do that, that you always feel like you have better options. Because, I mean, heck, there's so much here. You know, there's a cube tower. He loved the cube tower in Edge of Darkness so much, he's bringing that back. He's doing new stuff with card crafting. It's pirates on the high seas. I love all this stuff. Please, John, don't make it too aggressive and cutthroat. I know it's appropriate for pirates to be cutthroat. And I'm being very selfish by hoping that you didn't go too far down that road. But we will see. Time will tell with Dead Reckoning. Then we've got Deckscape Escape from Alcatraz. Now, I already mentioned the other announced Deckscape game um, uh, that's coming out in my top 25, Deckscape Duel. That one I rated higher because that one looks like it's fundamentally changing the core Deckscape formula by turning uh, the escape room format into a competitive game instead of a cooperative game. I'm intrigued by that. That made my top 25, but I'm still also keen on Deckscape, Escape from Alcatraz, and I'm assuming it's going to continue the greatest strength of Deckscape, which is always the fact that they do a better job of thematic integration of puzzles into narrative than anybody else doing Escape Room in your home-style games. And Escape from Alcatraz, I mean, that's an awesome uh, subject matter. But what's even cooler, the description here talks about a significant portion of the gameplay in this comes down to deciding which prisoners we are going to try to enlist the help of. Um, So there are moral decisions. Okay, well, you might be really helpful, but I don't think I should help you break out. You should definitely stay in prison. That's intriguing. A moral compass brought into an escape room. I don't know if that's really what's going to happen, but I'm excited for Deckscape Escape from Alcatraz. Then we've got the defense of Procyon 3. And no, I don't I don't believe there was a Procyon 1 or 2. That's just the third planet in the Procyon system in whatever this big epic space saga game is going to be. And as I understand it, uh, this is a big epic intergalactic uh, sci-fi war game. I mean, heck, it says war game in the description. So I was originally going to completely pass this one by, completely ignore it altogether. But the designer, Dave Turchi, uh, if you, I mean, Dave is one of my favorite designers. He's a great guy and just so clever. And every time he does a new game, he does something completely different and fresh. He does not uh, exist in a rut, he is always challenging himself to come up with new things. When he found out that I had skipped over this, he contacted me directly to assure me, and he knows me very well, he knows my taste, to assure me that this would be a game that Jen and I would enjoy. Um, So, I don't know. Uh, I mean, heck, the description here talks about how it comes with a two-player variant where the players focus on ground combat, while space combat is abstracted away into a simple game of risk management, which, by the way, maybe hints you to what one of the things that makes this game so cool. It is an asymmetrical battle game, and um, you know, there's multiple fronts on the surface and in orbit. That's all very, very cool. Again, I was going to pass over because it sounds like it's a war game, but Dave promised, he promised that this would be one for me and Jen. Is he a liar? We'll find out in 2020. But that, folks, uh, you know, regardless of whether it works for me and Jen, I'm sure the defense of Procyon 3 will be a very cool game because Dave has not let me down so far. 
Then we move on to Dice Quest, which there is almost nothing said about. It's from publisher Bombix. There's no pictures. It literally has a one-sentence description. Draft special-powered characters and dice to score points and travel through the land to reach landmarks. I think you know what I have to say about that, so I'm not going to say it. There is only one reason this thing makes the list, and it is the designer, whose name is very, very, very French, um, Cedric Chabossi. I don't know, Cedric. I don't know how to say French names, especially ones with multiple um, long, complicated syllables. Anyway, in case you don't know who Cedric is, he's... um, Was he the designer or co-designer of Lewis and Clark? And uh, let me look. I'm just going to check that. Nope, yeah. The designer of Lewis and Clark, which was an incredibly brilliant design. You can go back and watch my original run-through. I was so blown away by how fresh and original and wonderful that game is. And I think this is his first... Well, no, no. He did Discoveries. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he did Discoveries. He's got another game coming out in 2020, which I'll be talking about in a little while, which is also on the list. But so he's been, um, you know, off the radar for a little bit. Well, he did this Eyes on the Prize. I don't know anything about that. But Lewis and Clark is one of the greats. And, you know, just based on that and that alone, that makes anything Cedric is going to put out something to watch for, even if the publisher can't be bothered to tell us anything about it. And that, folks, is why I have put Dice Quest on my list. It might have made my top 25 if there was any kind of description about the actual game itself. But time will tell. We'll have to wait and see for Dice Quest. Then we've got Excavation Earth. And, folks... I'm back to the David Turchy well once again. And by the way, not for nothing, there were several Dave Turchy games coming out in 2020 in my top 25 as well. This is going to be the year of the Turchy. Um, and, uh, you know, with the Procyon and all the other ones. But for personal reasons, Excavation Earth might be his most important one because this was a game he has co-designed with his wife, uh, um, Yi, who is a very nice lady who I met uh, once, I think. And um, yeah, so uh, Dave and his wife have come up with a, oh, it's kind of a fantastical science fiction game about, I think it's about colonizing a new planet. Or, yeah, or no, um... Or, yeah, getting to the planet and then, yeah, excavating. You know, excavating for artifacts. Looking for, you know, dealing with the local aliens and, and uh, you know, getting artifacts to sell on the market and stuff like that. Um, honestly, I haven't looked too much into it because, hey, I trust David. I think I mentioned that a little bit ago. Now, as excited as I am about all this, there is a sad side to this story as well, which is I believe Dave and um, and Ye have uh, since separated. So um, while this is supposed to be a a, a glorious, um, you know, wonderful. A story of a of a, you know marital bliss. Apparently, I, as I understand it, don't worry, folks. It was an amicable split. They realized that they just weren't necessarily a good fit, and I believe they're still on good terms. Which means I guess they're still working on the game together. So there's a little bit of behind the scenes TMZ style drama to uh, what I expect will be a nice, solid, sharp game, Excavation Earth. Then we move on to Fairy Trails. This is from Uwe Rosenberg. Done. 
Okay, that's all you need to say. Although, there is more to say. This looks like it's definitely a lighter game. This is not one of his big, heavy, big box... Uh, Euros. This is more along the line. It's it's a tiling game where the tiles we lay down are making a road network through a a, uh, a magical forest, I guess. You know, we're basically creating fairy trails by laying these tiles down and making roads that connect and um, you know build routes for success. I I don't know. Um, you know, uh, Uve. Used to be my favorite designer. He's really been kind of up and down. I mean, not that his designs haven't been good, but they just haven't really been for Jen and me so much. But the most recent game we played late last year, uh, Robin of Loxley, was so fantastic that, um, you know, Uwe is definitely on an upswing for me. And so, Fairy Trails is one I'll be looking for as well. And fingers crossed, it is, if it's even half as good as Robin of Loxley, it's definitely something to seek out. Fairy Trails. Then we've got the Foundations of Rome. And this is a city building game in ancient Rome. And I'll be honest, the main thing that attracted me to this is it looks like this game is going to come with a boatload of gorgeous looking plastic miniature buildings to represent the amphitheater and the stadiums and all the, you know, the, the forms and all the different things that we can build up as we are building up ancient Rome. And they look really, really cool. I'm looking at some of the pictures right now. It looks like this game is going to have a very striking table presence. Now, some people might be intrigued by this because it is from uh, Emerson Matsuchi, who has definitely established himself as a very super successful designer over the last few years. I mean, um, with the, uh, the, the Century Games, Spectre Ops... Oh, uh, and... Uh, I, you know, Jen and I, we've kind of... Some of his designs have worked for us. Some of them haven't. But I thought they were all very good. Oh, oh, Reef. We really liked Reef quite a bit. So this is one of two games he's got coming out this year. I'll talk about another one a little bit later uh, since we're in alphabetical order. But mainly, like I said, uh, I, I, he is definitely a good designer. I've been impressed by his designs. And again, I cannot stress just how cool-looking the components for this game is going to be uh, for Foundations of Rome. Then, we've got... Oh, I feel like I've been waiting for this one forever. Fresco, the card, and dice game. Which is very strange. Because I believe, in years past, um, Publisher Queen has promised us Fresco, the card game. And have they ever promised us Fresco, the dice game? And anyway, these had been these had been designs that had been rattling around for forever since the original fresco came out. Gosh, almost a decade ago. But, but I mean, this is the first time that they've said, "Oh, it's the card and dice game." So I don't know. That makes me feel anyway like maybe things are finally coming into focus, and maybe they just really struggled to make it only a card game or only a dice game. It sounds like it's got Yahtzee-style mechanisms. Fresco is still one of Jen's and my favorite games of all time. So, um, any new Fresco is worth seeking out. And, uh, yeah. So, fingers crossed, we finally get it this year. Fresco, the card, and dice game. Then, continuing with our Fs, we've got Frosthaven. And, I should say, folks, some of the games that are on this list are not really 2020 games. Um, because Frosthaven, it says right here, it's not going to come out until 2021. But 
It is going to be on Kickstarter in 2020 and in March, I believe. And so that means there's going to be a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm. I'm super stoked to see what we get with the first true sequel to Gloomhaven. Not kind of an expansion or, you know, kind of a retweaking, which is, uh, you know, there's some other stuff coming for Gloomhaven that actually is coming out this year. I'll talk about that in a little bit when we get to the G's, but Frosthaven is going on Kickstarter. I don't need to know anything. Uh, Gloomhaven is still my number three greatest game of all time. And uh, I can only assume Isaac will have learned a lot of lessons and really honed his craft. And presumably Frosthaven will be even better. So, obviously, I am super-duper excited. Um, you know, I, and I imagine this is going to probably be my number one most anticipated game for 2021, a year from now, when I'm making this list, and it's actually going to come out. Fingers crossed he reaches out, because, hey, I'd just like to cover it when it's on Kickstarter. Not that he needs me. It's going to be a monster mega-hit. But anyway, folks, Frosthaven is coming. But that's not all, because next we have the game... Quick and easy. And remember, I was just talking about this a little bit ago. Designer Stefan uh, Bendorf, uh, uh, the game, when it came out a few years ago, was a very abstract, cooperative card game that the mind from Wolfgang Warsh a few years later really kind of borrowed a lot of the same ideas but made it a real-time game. But I understand the game is fantastic. Never played it, but... A new version of it, the game Quick and Easy is coming out that seems like it's really going to take things to an 11. So, maybe this is going to be my chance to finally check out the game. Considering how much we love The Mind, I am definitely keen on giving it a go. So, good luck, Stefan. Hopefully, this is going to be a good year for you with your two games that are coming out. The game Quick and Easy. Then, we've got... Hey, did I mention this before? Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion. So, this is not an expansion. This is a standalone game in the... or a stand-adjacent game. This is basically set in the same time and locale as Gloomhaven. You can buy it kind of as an expansion for Gloomhaven because it basically just gives you a bunch more playable characters, a bunch more items, a bunch more adventures and whatnot. But you can also just pick this up as a standalone. And I think that um, bodes well for a lot of people because the whole point of Jaws of the Lion is that while it does not compromise on all the complexity and depth and wonderful gameplay of Gloomhaven that's made it one of Jen's of my favorite games in our entire lifetime, this uh, Jaws of the Lion, uh, the most standout thing about it is if you are new to Gloomhaven, and you know, uh, trying to play regular Gloomhaven if you're a, if you're a noob is a very daunting task. It, there's so much going on, so much to keep track of. It is totally getting thrown into the deep end of the pool. Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion does not do that. I don't remember how many is it. Is it? Are there ten missions here, or maybe there's more? Uh, no, twenty five scenarios, and I believe. Of those 25 scenarios that come in this game, the first 10 are designed to slowly introduce players to more and more and more complexity. So the first adventure, you're just learning how to play the cards and make the decision about the top and the bottom, and more complex stuff comes in over time. I think that's 
fantastic. Uh, because by the time you have finished those first 10 missions, and then you've still got 15 more to go, uh, don't quote me, I might be wrong on those numbers. It does say 25 scenarios on here, but I don't know how many of them are actually intro tutorial sort of ones. But once you've made it through there, you're ready for the big leagues. You're ready to get the big Gloomhaven box and continue having adventures for literally years to come. And so, I think that's wonderful that the uh, Gloomhaven love will be able to spread farther and wider than ever before with this game that is not going to be on Kickstarter. It's going direct to retail, as I understand it. And I'm excited for it. Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion. Although I still haven't finished the storyline. We're only three away, and I haven't even touched the expansion yet. So much Gloomhaven goodness. 2020 is going to be a a good year for uh, Gloomhaven fanatics. All righty. But then, let's move on to The Great Wall from um, publisher Awaken Realms. And man, these guys have been on fire for the last few years. What with this war of mine and um, Nemesis and Lords of Hellas and Tainted Grail just came out. Everybody's loving that. And uh, Etherfields is going to be coming out soon. I mean, these guys can do no wrong. And it seems like the Great Wall is going to be their next big, super extravagant, uh, minis-heavy game that fuses Ameritrash-style trappings with Euro-style gameplay mechanisms. And I'm super excited about it because it seems like this one is less adventuresome and more Euro-y. More about economics of building up the defense, building up the Great Wall to hold off hordes and hordes of, uh, of uh, invaders that are coming to tear everything down. So this is a bit of a shift for them, um, You know, focusing on, I, I believe, real historical settings, not fantastical fantasy stuff, and more Euro-y, less adventure-y stuff. And as I understand, I believe this was a monster, or maybe it's even still running on Kickstarter right now, a big monster game. Now, I didn't cover it like I've covered a lot of their other games. They did reach out to me, but they told me, hey, we'd love you to cover it like you've covered stuff in the past, and I'm really keen on giving it a go. But they admitted, right now, our two-player rules need a lot of work. You know, and uh, they would have recommended if I was going to cover it, I'd have to play it as a three-player game. And I told them, not going to happen, guys. And so they moved on. Although, can I just say, I so respect them for that. I would love more publishers to just be open and honest about the strengths and weaknesses of their game instead of just trying to, you know... Uh, sell me on everything, and you know, often I'll read the rules and I'll say, "Yeah, this sounds really good, but man, this sounds like it'll be terrible for two. And oh, it's great for two. We play it all the time." And like, no, it's not. I can tell it's not. Kudos to Awaken Realms for recognizing that at this point, anyway, their two-player wasn't ready for prime time. So that's why I don't know much about it. That said. I have confidence they will pull that together in time for the retail release, which should be coming out this year. And it looks like it's going to have amazing production values like all their other games. And fingers crossed, very sharp gameplay as well with The Great Wall. Then we've got Hamlet. And no Shakespeare fans, it's not that Hamlet. This is a a little village building game. And uh, the reason it is on my list is because it is from designer Dave Cheerkop. I love Dave. Uh, I love his designs, and I love him. He's a friend of mine from Malta. Uh, He finally got off the island, made it into the big leagues. He is now a designer working for the makers of the Witcher video game series. But... Even though he's uh, you know gone into the digital realm, which was kind of his dream, he is still producing analog designs on the side. And 
Man, Jen and I love And Then We Held Hands, and uh, we are so in love with uh, Pursuit of Happiness. Love it to pieces. And so, Dave doing a little village-building game that, interestingly, probably the most thing that jumps out at me most, besides Dave's name on here, is that it doesn't have a grid. I like that a lot. I love the idea of, oh, we're off the grid, this is an analog game, this is more about just uh, snapping things together and not making... That could be very, very cool. But I'll be honest. Um, you know, if Dave's there, as long as it's not a game with lots of uh, attacking and killing, uh, or you know, uh, you know, aggressive aggression between players, Jen and I definitely want to seek it out. I mean, you know, full disclosure, he's a friend of mine. Uh, you know, like Dave Turchi and a few other designers. So you know, maybe that makes me a little bit biased. But, you know, if so, say la vie. I am still very excited for whatever Dave's coming up with, and it sounds like Hamlet should be delightful. Okay. Then we've got The Hobbit, an unexpected party. And now, there are two, th- there are three things that made me must play. In fact, this one is very, very close to being top 25 potential. Uh, the only thing that kept it from that is, it's, from the description of the gameplay, it sounds like it might be a little bit on the light side, might be more kind of a, a family gateway style game. Uh, whereas anything that's Lord of the Rings, I would definitely prefer to be bigger and heavier. That's what Jen and I go for. But hey, it's The Hobbit. That's supposed to be for families and kids, right? But why, why, why am I jumping around? Uh, so thing number one, it's The Hobbit. And it actually, it, uh, the gameplay is really focusing on the literal unexpected party that happens at the beginning of the novel where all the dwarves show up and uh, and Bilbo is just trying to deal with that. Um, as, uh, you know... Uh, you know, was it uh, smack the plates? That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. So carefully, carefully with the plates. Uh, you know, so I'm intrigued and charmed by the subject matter. Sure, of course. I, I definitely want to check it out for that reason. Uh, and while I'm worried it might be a little bit too light for us, I'd be in. But um, that's just the beginning. Thing number two, it is from designer Jared Gray, who is one of the co-designers of Endeavor Age of Sail. And I'm like, Whoa! That's a pretty big deal. Endeavor is phenomenal. And let's see, I think uh, it generates something else as well. No, no, it's, it's just mostly... So up till now, he's been working on Endeavor. Um, you know, an Age of Sail and the Age of Expansion. Expansion that came out. So this is his first, you know, breaking out from that and trying something new. So I'm keen on it for that reason, because we love Endeavor. But both of those things actually kind of pale in comparison to the third thing that makes Hobbit an unexpected party interesting. It's from Weta Workshop, the New Zealand um, uh, movie special effects house that did all of the CGI for the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies and lots of other stuff nowadays. Um, and that's like, whoa, what the heck is that about? They Weta is surely not a, a known for their board game chops. And so this very much reminds me of, uh, what was it, uh, Mechs versus Minions. A video game developer decides, yeah, we can make a board game, and they end up making one of the best board games of the year. So, hey, why not have a movie effects house do it too? I don't know if this means that they will be using actual you know stills or whatnot from the, uh, from the movies, because, you know, ironically, uh, there's no pictures. No pictures! Why is that? I, I, this is definitely something that I would want to know more about, but that's just a crazy one, two, three combo. Cool subject matter, cool designer, and a really outside-of-the-box uh, developer. 
the wedded velvet. Now, unfortunately, like I said, I didn't quite make it to the top 20. One, I'm a worried it might be a bit too light. That's okay. I still want to check it out anyway. But the other thing is, apparently this was playable at Essen. Uh, you know, they had a, you know a playable prototype. And nobody's talking about it. Nobody who played it at Essen has said word one. So that makes me worry a little bit. Um, I don't. I just don't know what to think. This is so crazy. Uh, yeah, definitely. Hobbit, the unexpected party, is certainly something that uh, deserves some investigation uh, and eyeballs when it comes out. Time will tell, though. Uh, anyway, though, that was Hobbit and Unexpected Party. Then we move on to Holly Festival of Colors. And this is not the first time, nor will it be the last time, that I am marking a game as must-check-out because of the gobsmackingly wonderful art of Vincent Dutre. And I am looking at the box cover. This box cover... Uh, you know, th- this game basically is about those festivals uh, where players... Or not players, where the festival goers just douse themselves and each other in colorful powders. And so you know, everybody just becomes like a living, walking, beautiful canvas work of art. Uh, I've always thought that looks really cool when I've seen news stories and whatnot about it. So now it's a full game where apparently we're spreading the powder around and it's kind of an area control sort of puzzly thing. I don't really know. Um, and I say, I don't think... I think this is a first-time designer as well. Uh, Julio Nazario, is that right? Oh, he did one other game. No, he's got another game coming this year called Hunted, Haunted, which uh, for whatever reason didn't quite draw me in enough. But so it's basically a first-time designer with a cool theme, and probably going to be one of the most beautiful games of the year. Probably, if this box cover art is anything to go by. I, I, I can't tell you enough, folks. If you saw it, it is, it is the most, one of the most striking box covers I have ever seen. It just looks amazing. And it makes you want to learn more about this game. And that's why Holly Festival of Colors is on the list. But as we move along, we then come to Imperial Century. And this looks like... Uh, you know, I, 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 I hypothesized earlier that maybe publisher What's Your Game will get Brazil out this year. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. But more importantly, I suspect Imperial Century will be coming out this year. This is probably going to be their big, heavy box game of the year. Uh, they didn't really have one last year. They did some lighter expansion stuff and whatnot. So I am very keen on... Oh, yeah, What's Your Game... They have proven themselves time and time and time again to be the high watermark in the board game industry for rich, deep, um, deceptively simple, and yet uh, you know lose your mind depth euros. And so, anytime they're going to do something new, I am there. There's no art for this yet. I assume it'll probably look a lot like most of their games. Uh, it has to do with uh, you know colonialism in 1815, I guess, uh, you know, because it is the imperial century as we are trying to spread our tendrils out to India, Canada, and Australia. Interesting, I was just talking about Endeavor a little bit ago. Sounds like maybe it covers the same realm there. Uh, you know, all you know, although we ourselves are based in England, you know. You know, pulling the strings and you know subjugating the world and whatnot. So no doubt there will probably be some animus thrown their, their way. Hopefully they will be able to handle the uh, sensitive subject matter in a tasteful way that is educational and uh, you know um, illuminating as much as it is engaging and fun. But yeah. Imperial Century, I'm totally there. What's your game? They have not really steered me wrong in the past, so I'm excited. 
Okay, then we've got Imperium. And folks, Dave Turchy is not done yet. It's the Turchy verse. It's the Turchy century, I guess. Um, although he's co-designing this one with uh, oh uh, somebody I'm not familiar with, Nigel Buckle, uh, who has done. Uh, a couple of games, Celtic Quest and Omega Centauri. I've not seen either of those games, so I don't know Nigel, but I do know Dave. And so, yeah, I am interested in this one. And I know I've looked at... Oh, uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, this one, it was on Kickstarter, wasn't it? And it failed. Yeah, that's right. And I remember looking at the time and thinking, wow, that looks really good. And of course it looks good because it's got art from my favorite board. I keep talking about how wonderful uh, Vincent Dutre is, but he's still my number two. Uh, the Miko is my number one artist. And this looks like it's full to the brim of stunning art from the man. Uh, you know, with, I mean, I'm looking at some of the card art. It just goes edge to edge. I remember thinking, at the time, when I looked at this to see if I would cover it when it was on Kickstarter, that there was probably a little bit too much player versus player, head-to-head stuff. Uh, it's a strategic civilization building game in the era of antiquities. And, um, you know, with, with tons of asymmetry and, you know, player powers and stuff like that. So I'm sure it's all very, very good. I remember passing on it originally because it was too aggressive. Uh, but... I put it on the list anyway because look at this art. Oh my gosh, it looks so good. And, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I don't know if it is even actually coming out because, like I said, I think it failed on its Kickstarter. But, fingers crossed, it's coming anyway. I, I don't know. But it is something, I mean, again, Dave Turchy uh, and the Miko, that's a great combination. No offense, Nigel. I'm sure you uh, brought a lot to it. Heck, it's probably your design and Dave's working with you. I don't really know. But um, I will keep Imperium on my list, even though, like uh, Frosthaven, and oh, what was the very first one I talked about at the beginning of this whole list? Uh, oh, Seven Citadel. It's officially a 2021 game, but I'm assuming we'll see all of these games on Kickstarter in 2020, and so that's why I'm calling them out. Okay, moving right along, we've got In Too Deep, and this is the next game from new publisher, Burnt Island Games, who totally knocked it out of the park. Man, I keep coming back to Endeavor, Age of Sail. Their Endeavor, Age of Sail, was phenomenal. Their follow-up, which I covered on Kickstarter last year, um, was it Kings of the Undermountain? Is that what it was, what it was called? Let me look that up, just to be on the safe side. I know it was Undermountain. Was it... No, in the Hall of the Mountain King. There was no Undermountain. In the Hall of the Mountain King was also a very sharp game that is now finally uh, getting Kickstarter backers. So it seems like the the, uh, the they've got it down. They've uh, mastered the art of kickstarting games and then making sure people actually ultimately get them. So it's something you can trust. And so their third big game, uh, which is coming from... Oh, what is it? Josh Capel, who did the excellent Rec Raiders... Uh, that, I, I really like that one quite a bit. And, you know, and, um, oh, and who's the other one? Oh, uh, Daryl Chow, who I guess got a fair bit of attention with the Artemis Project, although I have not played that one. So anyway, a couple of up-and-coming, um, designers, a really up-and-coming publisher, and a very, very cool subject matter. This game basically looks like Blade Runner the board game. It's, uh, 2087, where cops... Um, you know, trying to take down criminal syndicates that run the city. And uh, yeah, uh, it's got an incredibly gorgeous piece of cover art. 
So that's those three things that have made me put in too deep on the uh, list. There's really nothing much here about gameplay. It's pick up and deliver, set collection, hand management. Uh, it's there. You know, there's kind of spy, secret agenty type stuff going on. Uh, it, there, there is one interesting description here about um, you, we are working undercover. You know, working within the you know the the uh, the syndicate, trying to and if we make too many arrests. It could blow our cover. So that's an interesting idea. You know, being an undercover cop in a futuristic Blade Runner style universe, that's intriguing. But there's a lot of other stuff, even more important, that um, comes into sharp designers, sharp publisher. Sounds like a sharp game in too deep. Then, moving right along, we head on to uh, Jodhpur, I guess. I don't know. Uh, We'll say Jodhpur. So here's the thing. Um, Jaipur is phenomenal. Uh, you know, one of the best two-player games ever. Uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard to top it as a great, uh, you know, couples two-player game. And so, the designer of Jaipur, uh, last year, he had a couple of sequels. He's working with co-designers on them, uh, that they're following the same basic setting, but coming up with different styles of gameplay. And one of them came out last year. I don't remember the name of it now. Uh, it breaks my heart. Uh, the publisher never sent me a review copy. I definitely want to review it because Jen and I love Jaipur so much. What was the other one? Oh, it's Encore. I haven't played it. It did come out last year. And uh, now the third, in what sounds like basically the Jaipur trilogy, Jodhpur is coming out. So, just like I want to play Encore because I love Jaipur so much, I want to play Jodhpur as well. Uh, it's Tile Lang. I love tiling, one of my favorite things. Jaipur is great. Uh, Space Cowboys, the publisher, tends to make really solid productions as well. So that's a lot of stuff going for it. Jodhpur. Then we have got, oh, moving right along. Oh, Kanban EV. What's the EV stand for? Environment, I think? Uh, Yeah, oh no, electric vehicles. Kanban is fantastic. Is it my second favorite? A game from Vita Lasarda? Maybe. That's a tough one. I mean, all his games are fantastic, and we really, really, really loved Kanban a lot. Uh, you know, a game all about you know manufacture, or, you know, uh, auto manufacturing. You know, managing the uh, production line and the design of cars and test driving them. All that really sharp. Prop maybe. No, no, no. I was going to say maybe his most complex game, or his heaviest game. It might be his most complex game, but it's not his heaviest game. And it really tickled our fancy. It's interesting, uh, a, uh, a, a special edition came out last year, but this new one, Kanban EV, is effectively the sequel. Because, uh, one, it switched publishers, it switched artists, and while I expect probably the core gameplay is still the same, I have no reason to expect uh, to. I don't know that for certain. Other than in fact, it says it's the uh, Kanban Drivers Edition is being re-implemented here, with the focus changing to electric vehicles. Well, I think that has the potential to really. Uh, enhance the gameplay. Uh, you know, it talks about um, you know AI getting worked into the production chain of these cars and having to worry. You know, in the original game, yeah, we worried about you know it's it's the cars' looks and you know the performance and stuff like that. But now we have to pay attention to the green potential of the cars we're making. That is very very cool with recycling coming into play and whatnot. So I'm super excited about this. All honesty, this is another one that I thought seriously, very seriously about putting in the top 25. And the only reason I didn't is because 
Well, I have played Kanban, and if this is still 90% regular Kanban, then I, I, I probably it, it probably wouldn't make it because it's a bit, a bit harder to be excited about something that I'm really familiar with. And so I might eat those words later when more information comes out, and it turns out, yeah, this is only 60% original Kanban, and it's 40% new stuff. And if that's the case, then I apologize to Vital and Eagle Griffin Games and Eno Tool, uh, the artist, uh, because, yeah, this sounds really exciting. Considering, yeah, con- uh, considering how much uh, change, now that I think about this more, CO2 got a big, uh, lavish re... And, you know, it changed so much it became a cooperative game. Yeah, I probably should have put this in my top 25. Now, the more I think about it, the more I am full of regret. But I can't go back in time. So, uh, suffice to say, folks, Kanban EV, I'm sure, will be very, very exciting. Very, very cool. Probably a top 10. I should have made it a top 10. I'm embarrassed now. But let's move on. Two, The Lands of Galzier. G-A-L-Z-Y-R. Galzier? I'm going to go with Galzier. Okay, Here's the deal. This is from designer, artist, publisher, Sammy Laxo. Uh, you know, it, it, he's one of the only people in the industry who's basically successfully pulling off a locket, a Ryan Lockett style where he does everything. He designs the games, he writes the games, he does the art for the games, and he runs a little pretty much one-man publishing thing to put the games out. And what are his other games? It's the Dale of Merchants series. And this new game is set in that same wonderful anthropomorphized fantasy animal kingdom. And it's now, uh, you know, taking all those wonderful, uh, you know, smart animal races out of their merchant trappings from Dale of Merchants and uh, creating a big, persistent world adventure game. Think. Seventh Continent style stuff, but with adorable furry creatures going on adventures and whatnot. I'm really excited for this because, uh, well, Sammy, it's it's. I, I I love the idea of you know just this kind of one stop super shop uh, Renaissance man style approach. But hey, his other designs have been really great. I'm a little bit nervous about this. What kept this out of my top twenty five? Because originally it was going to be my top twenty five. Is when I learned it has role to resolve combat. Sigh. That's unfortunate. Um, and you know that might uh, knock it. Well, it did. It knocked it down a few notches for me. Kept it out of the top twenty-five. Because originally I was totally going to call it out there because I'm very keen on the lands of Galzier. Then we've got Legend Raiders. And what was it about this? Oh, I think. I think this one, it was the designer pedigree. Let me look up these two guys. Francesco Testini, who, uh, yeah, that's what it was. Francesco Testini, and um, also working with Dario uh, Mazzarenti, uh, who was a first-time designer. Okay, I don't know Dario. Dario, I'm sure you're great. But what I'm really excited about is the fact that this is the next big box game coming from Francesco, because his last game was Xion. And I did a run-through for Xion, which was an amazing little Euro. So good! You know, one of the... um, Oh, man. Every once in a while, people ask me, what's that term? Um, You know, Uncut Gems? No. That's the movie with... uh... Uh, with Adam Sandler, uh, you know the you know the, the the game that everybody should play and everybody missed. Uh, that's what Xion is, which is X I A N. 
Amazing game. Go watch my run through if you never did, and then see if you can seek it out because it is such a sharp design. And so, uh, Francesco deserved a lot more attention, and I'm hoping his next game, Legend Raiders, gets it. Uh, certainly, I think it has a uh, more chance to break through because it looks like from the art, kind of a uh, Indiana Jones Tomb Raider style adventure game. Um, you know, set collection, finding treasures, and you know, ruins and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, the subject matter is fine. The art looks nice, but it's really Francesco as his follow-up to Xion, which is just so amazing that I have to check out and see what else he's got up his sleeve. Hopefully he's not a one-hit wonder. I suspect he won't be. Legend Raiders will let us know. Then, we've got Lost Atlantis. And... Oh, folks, it's more Vincent Dutre art. Um, Vincent Dutre uh, tackling the sunken city of Atlantis means lots of bluer than blue that looks absolutely gorgeous from just the box cover alone. And yeah, that's that. That's it. That's what brings me in. The designers, they've done a few other games. I'm not really familiar with any of them. And let's see, the publisher, Alderac Entertainment, the, you know, if this is part of Alderac's new... Leaf that they turned over last year, where they said, okay, we're going to put out fewer games and focus on higher quality. You know, so far that's proven to be pretty successful. So I expect good things, but mostly, yeah, it's the Vincent Dutre art. But uh, because I couldn't go by the description, here's the entire description on Board Game Geek Lost Atlantis is described by the publisher as a 3X game under the sea. Okay. I don't know. Hopefully they got rid of the correct X, the exterminate part, and uh, hopefully the gameplay will live up to the art, but you know the art's going to be amazing for Lost Atlantis. Then, ooh, this would have totally been... This would have been my top five most anticipated. But again, I remember I did my top 25 like two weeks ago, and it's only um, last week that Mariposa's was announced. And why am I so excited about this? Well, it's from Alderac again. But more importantly, it's from Elizabeth Hargrave. And this is her follow-up to the Kenner Spiel winning Wingspan. And Wingspan has become a monster hit with good reason. It is such a wonderful engine-building game. So charming. I wouldn't have thought I would have cared about those birds at all because I have no interest. But she made such an amazing engine-building game that I fell in love with the birds because the gameplay is so great. Now, she's making game uh, a game about the migratory patterns of monarch butterflies. Which I must admit, again, I have zero interest in. But considering how she made me a bird convert, I'm fully expecting Elizabeth is going to make me a butterfly convert now uh, as we try to ensure the uh, thriving survival of these butterflies flying from Mexico to North America and back. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be. Don't need to know. You had me at Elizabeth Hargrave, or I should say, Kennerspiel winning Elizabeth Hargrave. And that's why Mariposas would have been in my top five, except it was announced too late. So the best it can do is be in my top 100 most anticipated games. But suffice to say, it would rank very high. Mariposas. Then we've got Marvel Splendor. And I'll be honest, I mean, I think I talked about this. Yeah, I, I did a run-through for Splendor, which, of course, is a super monster successful engine-building hit that just fell flat for me and Jen. Uh, we thought it was fine, but it was so abstract. And just, I mean, we, 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 there were engine-building engine games we'd rather play. Um, 
And, you know, I mean, they might as well not have even put a theme in the original because it didn't make any sense. I have no idea if changing this core gameplay with the wonderful poker chips and all that, but turning, putting it in the Marvel universe of comic book heroes and villains will make the game any more engaging. But I'm willing to find out because I love Marvel, as longtime fans of the show know. So, yeah, I, I don't know if the core gameplay changes or not. Like I said, Splendor was fine. It was a good engine builder, but just completely unengaging setting. It's going to have an amazing setting now, and maybe that's going to be enough. Uh, So, yeah, I'm definitely keen to try out Marvel Splendor, no doubt. Then, we've got Medici the Dice Game! With more amazing art from Vincent Dutre. But that actually, in this case, that doesn't matter. The reason this is on the list, and again, I was originally going to put this in my top 25. It's This would be in the top 30. Uh, it it just, just fell short. This is a roll and write game from Reiner Knizia. And whenever Reiner Knizia tackles a new topic, a new subject matter, he always comes at it from a different perspective. I mean, the first time he did a deck building game, he gave us um, you know, El Dorado, and that is such an amazingly fresh and wonderful take on deck building. So I'm expecting something special and fresh and different applied to Roll and Write. But hey, on top of that, it's got art from Vincent Dutre. And more importantly than either of those is the fact that the recent re- do from Grail Games of Medici was fantastic. And then Medici, the card game, was amazing. Jen and I loved it to pieces. So much go that it, it killed Medici. And so now Medici's getting the triple threat. They got the base game and then the card game and now the dice game. So I'm going to have to be there because I got to try all of these. And like I said, Reiner Knizia doing a roll and write with some art from Vincent Dutray. Yes, please. Okay. After that, moving along, we've got I want to say minstrels, but it's spelled funny. It's menestrels, although it is about medieval-era minstrels. It is from a designer, Bruno Faduti, uh, who you know is certainly one of the most respected modern board game designers around, although we haven't seen much from him in recent years. But I'm very excited about this one because he has teamed up with first-time designer, was it Sandra uh, Petrini? And the thing about Sandra is, she is a real-world um, scholar, academic, who studies the lives of medieval-era minstrels. So, um, her bringing the historical knowledge and chops, Bruno bringing the design chops, and David Cochard, who I, not too long ago, listed in my top ten favorite board game artists of all time, bringing gobsmackingly beautiful art. That is a nice triple threat. That is a great combo, and that's why I am expecting big things from minstrels, Although, or minstrels. Um, M-E-N-E-S-T-R-E-L-S. Ministrels. And uh, yeah, that's why I'm excited for it. But are we done with M's? No, we are not. Next up, we've got Emerson Matsuchi. I said he'd be back. He is back with Metal Gear Solid, the board game. Oh, and I went back and forth on including this because I have a very special and personal history with Metal Gear Solid in that it almost destroyed me as a creative person. But that's a story for another day. Uh, yeah, I used to be a video game designer and uh, Siphon Filter was... Anyway, hardly doesn't matter here or there. Um, long story short, that is not why I'm putting my... Past aside, my, my past with Metal Gear Solid makes me kind of be adverse to it. Um, but, and you know, I mean, I, like I said earlier, Emerson, I think his designs have been really nice. I've been very impressed by them, so he's drawing me in. 
But what really is intriguing about this is the idea that this is a cooperative stealth game. This is, I mean, we've had several stealth games over the years, including Emerson uh, producing Spectre Ops, which up till now everybody considered, oh, it's Metal Gear Solid, the board game. Except it's not, because Metal Gear Solid, the board game, is actually Metal Gear Solid, the board game. And it's fully cooperative. Players are working together in a very sandboxy way to try to avoid automated guards who are patrolling the area. And I gotta say, that sounds really intriguing. Um, because if I can put my personal disdain uh, because of my history with Metal Gear Solid aside, I think that is a very rich wellspring of gameplay ideas. I can imagine some very clever stuff. The game um, promises in the description highly dynamic AI systems and sandbox gameplay, meaning there's dozens... It's more about your personal creativity for how to sneak past these guards rather than just, you know, using special abilities or whatnot. And that's certainly true to the original video game. So I am definitely on board, in spite of myself, for Metal Gear Solid, the board game. Oh, I can't believe it. It makes me feel dirty. But, gotta check it out. Okay, okay. And next up is Moonflight. This is a deck builder from, I think, a first-time designer... Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, it has a very interesting twist I like quite a bit. Obviously, like deck builders, you're going to be grabbing new cards, putting them in your deck to give yourself new powers so that you can get victory point cards and put those in your deck. And like Dominion, as you might imagine, those clog up your deck. And so you've got that fundamental issue that you know Dominion established and works really, really well in a lot of games. Here's what makes this game different. Um, it's a deck deconstruction game, like uh, uh, Dale of Merchants or Valley of Kings. And uh, which means you are spending as much focus uh, building up your deck as you are pulling stuff out of your deck. But the extra twist is at the end of the game, you don't score all the cards that are in your deck. You only score the cards that are in your final hand. And so I don't know how that's going to work. But I'm really intrigued by that idea. That is a very cool idea that as I, um, you know, that. As, as I anticipate the game is coming to an end, I'm trying to ensure that I've just got nothing but scorecards in my hand. But that means I can't do anything. And what if the game doesn't and it keeps going? And so you get this fundamental pressure of, ah, I've got it, but we're not ending now. And okay, so then these are all going to get discarded. Now all my other stuff comes in. That's really intriguing. At least that's me imagining what might be. I'm not sure how it will work, but that... Like I said, that is a very cool and fresh idea. So, Moonflight is definitely one that I would want to check out. Alrighty, then we've got The Mountain. This is the latest game from Grana, who are, uh, you know, forever in my heart because of CV and Capital, although now it's called Warsaw City of Ruins. They've done a bunch of other games, but CV and Capital were both phenomenal designs. And this looks like it's going to be their main focus game of the year that they're going to try and put out. I don't really know the designer. He's done several things, but I'm not really familiar with his work. And the gameplay itself is about uh, uh, dwarven miners, you know, mining in the in the mountain, which is the name of the game. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, actually, I don't know if I've actually read this. It seems like there's actually a fairly decent description here. 
Right. Uh, dwarf guilds work in the mine. Uh, get them all kinds of resources to build infrastructure in the mine to fulfill cards with architect goals. Collect those cards, exchange resources. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's probably a pretty straightforward set collection thing. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, the main thing is publisher Grana has definitely done enough fantastic work that I'm keen on trying them out. So, a dwarven fantasy mining simulation called The Mountain from Grana? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Then, okay, M... We're finally made it halfway through. We're on to ends now. Hooray! With Nevada City. And so this is coming... Actually, I thought it was going to come out last year, but it looks like... I, I guess it didn't quite make it. Yeah, it's a 2020 game now. It is from uh, Rio Grande Games. And uh, this is a worker placement game where players control a, a, a Western settling family, you know, Ma, Pa, son, and daughter. And, you know, each one of these characters is a worker that you can send into town to, you know, do various frontier survival type things. But as I recall, because I got a brief intro to this at uh, BoardGameGeekCon in November, the thing that probably jumped out at me the most is that you're not just limited to those four workers. There are townsfolk you can hire every round, and they all have access to different abilities. So you, you want to hire the right people at the right time. But at the end of the round, any of the townsfolk, or you know the, 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 the folks looking for work who weren't hired, they get kind of rowdy and uh, you know, start looking for trouble. And so now you've got this extra thing of uh, you know, trying to have to put on your sheriff's badge and, and keep them under control. So I thought that was a really interesting idea. You know, all these specialized workers who could basically turn into a problem if you don't hire them. But then on top of that, uh, if I recall correctly, you can have Pa, or you can have, um, uh, you know, little little Billy and, and little Jane, you know, two of your workers, you can get them married to some of these townsfolk and, and expand your family in that regard. So there's a lot of really cool ideas here. I, I remember being pretty impressed when they gave me the quick tour. So I'm looking forward to checking out Nevada City, definitely. Okie doke. Then we've got, oh, how the heck do you pronounce this? Nidavellir, Nidavellir, or something like that. It's a dwarven kingdom that's threatened by the dragon Fafnir. And, um, right, basically, we are elves having to deal with the fact that it looks like there is a dragon on its way. And so we have to build up a fighting force to defend ourselves. And yeah, that's all fine. Uh, it looks like the art's pretty nice, too. The main reason I'm intrigued by this is the designer. Serge Leguet? Or Leguet? I'm not sure. He's a French designer. And he's predominantly worked with other designers. Uh, most often, uh, Bruno Cathala. But I have been impressed by some of his designs. Uh, Cargo Noir is a criminally underrated game. Jen and I love that one to pieces. And, you know, he co-designed Mundus Novus, which is uh, one of uh, Bruno Cathala's best games, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, uh, oh, and I, he also, he worked on Shadows Over Camelot, which of course is um, one of the premier co-ops of all time. So I, I, I would love to see Serge get more, uh, you know, it, more of his own limelight instead of just like always being, oh, he's Bruno Cathalo's co-designer. And so he's doing this by himself. It sounds like the mechanisms are sharp. And so, yeah, bring it on, Serge. Bring us the Nidavellir. Will you? I hope so. I'm looking forward to trying it. Okay. Then we move on to No Dawn, um, which is the latest game from Colossal Games. 
uh, you know, who have really been on a tear. Although I guess they've run into some problems as well. I'm not really quite sure. I have to admit, I haven't really followed too closely on that. But uh, No Dawn is a cooperative fantasy deck building worker placement game. And that's a nice combination of stuff to my taste. So I'm definitely interested. From the description, it almost kind of sounds. Oh, Robinson Crusoe-ish in that, uh, you know, we are doing worker placement to basically build up the defenses of the town that we're trying to protect from the onslaught of, of monsters or whatever that are coming for us. But it talks about how players can place their own workers or you can place workers in communal spots so that players do stuff together. Again, very Robinson Crusoe-ish. Uh, yeah. And I, the, the description here doesn't go into too much detail. It talks about you know, uh, dynamic difficulty level increasing in um, you know multiple campaign scenario stuff. Sure, that's all fine. I'll be honest. Uh, mostly, I like deck building, worker placement, fantasy stuff. So I'm. This would not rate very high because there's just not enough information there yet. But there's enough for me to be definitely interested in No Dawn. Then we move on to Oath Chronicles of Empire. And Exile. And this is the latest game from uh, Leader Games, Cole Worley. Uh, I think that's his name. Uh, and if those don't sound familiar to you, his games should, because this is the designer of Root, and before that, Vast. And so this is his third game, which is all about insanely asymmetrical players, each of whom are, for all intents and purposes, playing their own separate game within a common ecosystem, all trying to chase after the same stuff. This one, let's see, it is about taking on the role of agents who are either bolstering the old order or scheming to bring a new the new kingdom to ruin. And uh, apparently the consequences of one game will ripple through the, uh, those that follow. So it's got campaign play going on as well. And, you know, uh, mostly my hope is this will be the one that finally works for me and Jen because I so love these ideas of, of these games from uh, from Cole where players just have these radically different... Each player, depending on who you are, whatever faction you are, has... I mean, I'm assuming he's going to continue doing that because that's kind of what he's known for now. And I'm hoping this is one where there's not too much direct player screwing with each other. I suspect there probably will be, because I, I assume that's just the kind of stuff he likes. And that's probably too bad, but for now, I will definitely leave Oath on my list of games to learn more about, even though I have a sinking suspicion it won't work for me and Jen at the end. But you never know. Hope springs eternal for Oath. Then we've got Old Tree. And folks, Vincent Dutre is at it again! He's back! Uh huh, and this is a game about. Well, there's not much to say. It's based on a, apparently a popular French role-playing game, which I know nothing about. And it is uh, we're knights in a fallen kingdom. We're doing what we can to protect the people we've sworn allegiance to. Okay, the there's nothing really here in the description. There's nothing really here in the pictures of of, of the prototype, but there is really cool box cover art from Vincent Dutre, and more importantly. And I don't say that lightly, because I love me some Vincent Dutre. It is from designer Antoine Bauza, Mr. Seven Wonders, Mr. Ghost Stories, Mr. Uh, Takedo and Takenoko, and, you know, so many besides. I mean, Antoine Bauza, he's a good designer. And while, sadly, 
almost more often than not, his games don't work for me in Gen. I never think they're poorly designed. Actually, that's not true. The Panda one, I didn't think it was a very good design. Okay, I was about to... I had to take that back. The Panda one was not good. But all the other ones have been really, really good. So, I'm interested in Ultra. He's got a co-designer on this. John Grumpf. Uh, who almost sounds like he'd be a character from the game. And that's John's first game. So, uh, yeah. Bring it on, Antoine and John. Give us the Ultra. And we'll see if it lives up to Vincent Dutre's wonderful art. Okay. Then, we've got... Paper Dungeons, a dungeon draw, a dungeon drawing game. Cause see, it's a it's a roll and write, so you're drawing a dungeon, but you're also dungeon crawling at the same time. So it's a dungeon drawing game, which I hadn't even noticed before. That was very hard to. That was a hard word to say without any uh, advance notice. Yeah, folks, I cannot tell you how many hours as a young boy. I spent making Dungeons and Dragons maps with graph paper, you know, doing the the uh, the lines of descending size to represent staircases and all that. I just I, I never got to play them with anybody. I didn't have anybody that I could DM, but I just loved making dungeons. And so now a game where we use dice rolls to actually make those dungeons, yes, please. Apparently there was a uh, uh, something that, a similar uh, topic that came out last year, Doodle. Doodle Dungeon or something like that. I forget who it was by. I never actually got to try it, but I love the idea. Um, you know, I loved Cartographers last year, except for the fact that it had a lot of unnecessary, you know, take that inness. In my top 25, which uh, apologies for spoilers if you haven't heard it, there's a floor plan, which is another roll and write about doing architectural floor layouts. So I am definitely keen on this subject matter. Um, and so definitely bring me Paper Dungeons. Why did this one not make my top 25? And what was it? Floor Plan did? Well, Floor Plan was from a publisher that I knew and from a designer that I knew. Uh, whereas this is um, some some newbies that I'm not familiar with. But the, uh, the subject matter should work out really well. Dice rolling, dungeon making, and dungeon delving. Yeah, that could be amazing. So I am totally on board for Paper Dungeons. And uh, that's saying something, because it's from first-time designer and, and all that. So Paper Dungeons. Yes! Yes! Okay, then we move on to Paris. Okay, folks. Um, why did this not make my top ten? Why did not... Because here's the thing. This is from uh, the design duo of Kiesling and Kramer. And they can do no wrong. They always make amazing games. Why did I not just put this in my top 10? Okay, I can only assume I did not because at the time, maybe um, the designers weren't listed and I was just putting this uh, as a list because it's from publisher Game Brewer. I know Game... You know They do good work. Uh, you know They're definitely on a roll. Uh, it's about uh, city building and post-Napoleonic Paris. It's a medium weight game, short turns, ingenious point salad mechanisms. You know, I don't, I don't care. I, this should have been in my top ten. I, I, I clearly just must not have known. Uh, I, I must not have seen that. But yeah, okay, folks, forget about my top ten I mentioned earlier. This is totally a top ten. Paris from Kramer and Keesling. Oh yeah, baby. When they get together, it, good stuff follows. Okay. After that, we've got Plunderous, which I kind of talk about in a roundabout way in the top 10, as this is from a another game design from a friend of mine. I talked about Dave Cheerkop earlier. I am friends with Andrew Scott, although I call him Andy. I think his friend, all his friends call him Andy. And uh, he has been working on this design for 
years. And he has been talking to me about this design for years. And I think it's a really sharp, clever, steampunk pirate um, world that he has created and built a big 4X political game around. It is so chock full to the brim with really clever stuff. And I, you know, every time he's ever talked to me about it over the years is he keeps, you know, gets feedback from me and adds more and more features and trims other features out and, you know, changes core gameplay mechanisms. And he's always sending me um, art that's been done by the Miko that I've been looking at for years and it's just gorgeous. It looks so great. Of course, the Miko's art is always great. And I've always been so bummed because uh, it is really a game of of conquest. And, you know, players building up ports, but then other players moving in with their ships and taking, you know, resting control and all of that. And, you know, it's just like a constant tug-of-war of all the players to get the most influence over this steampunk uh, Caribbean-style world. Um, you know, with flying airships and all that kind of stuff. Let's see. Yeah, 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 it has flying airships. That's right. And, uh, and you know, uh, you hire your crew and they represent cards that will allow you to manipulate the dice that, um, you know, represent what types of actions you can take. is full of really sharp stuff, but a lot of player interaction, which was kind of a turnoff. I've always told Andy, ah, it's too bad you're not making it for me. But a year or so ago, he added a feature where um, players can vote on laws that change the rules of the game. And there are several times over the course of the game where these things will come up. And he started introducing laws that prevent players from being able to attack each other. And when he told me about that, I told him, you know, Andrew or Andy, uh, you should really pay attention to what Dominion does, because he's played a lot of Dominion, but he never knows. You know how in Dominion, in the last page of every Dominion expansion and rulebook, they always have, hey, look, here's suggested um, co- collections of cards you can choose that make the game unique every time you play. And when he told me he has like dozens of different laws that can change the rules and make the game feel very different, I suggested... Why don't you include, like Dominion, a collection of preset laws that are in play when you start so that you can uh, make a game that appeals to a lot more players? Like a Care Bear version where all the no attacking cards are laws of the land right from the get-go, and instead you can pursue other ways of getting uh, fame and glory. And he said, that's a really interesting idea. And I haven't heard from him since. But if he does that for this game, which I know he's going to be putting on Kickstarter at some point in the next few months, if all goes to plan, if that made it in, I am suddenly very interested in this game. Uh, and like I said, uh, I mentioned earlier with Dave, well, I've got some, you know, he's a friend of mine, so I'm rooting for him. But aside from all that, I love art by the Miko, and there are so many cool ideas in this game. And if it can finally work as a game that Jen and I could enjoy, hey, sign me up for Plunderous. Okay. Moving right along, we have got Rise and Fall. And this is from Christoph Bollinger, who is a very well-respected designer. Certainly his biggest design has been Dungeon Twister, although Archipelago certainly turned a lot of heads back in the day. And he's done a few other games here and there. Rise and Fall is particularly interesting to me um, because it is a, a, oh, um, an area control game. And it's a fantasy world where you're trying to spread our influence over this, you know, continent. Which, maybe that'll work. Maybe that'll be something Jen and I enjoy. Maybe not. I don't really know. What really intrigues me about the game, though, um, you know, and they make a big deal out of it in this description is... Or didn't they? I think they did. Uh, There's almost this mini-game 
that the game starts with, where you actually build the continent, where players take turns. And normally, I have to admit, I'm not really keen on the uh, process that some games do where, oh, well, players can take turns putting stuff on the board <coughs> to, to make the world, and then you start playing. But there have been a few times where that works really well. One of them being, um, oh, I can't think of the name, even though it's such a wonderful little game. Oh, and I can't, I'm looking around and I can't find it on my wall anywhere. Oh, this is embarrassing. Oh my goodness, where is it? Not that this is particularly exciting for you to listen to me, but I will find it. Where is it? Ah, oh, Fjords. Fjords um, is a game where half of the game is all about building up and you know laying territory, and then second half of the game is once the world's built up, finalizing the territory. Like Fjords. Rise and Fall could maybe scratch the same itch, but you know I'm, I'm, I kind of got sideswiped there, sidetracked there by looking for the the fjords. It looks like a lot of fun. There's a video on Board Game Geek of the designer just having fun building the world that we are then going to um, you know try to exert our influence over. And I have to admit that's really what got me on board for it because I want to build those little uh, continents. It looks like a lot of fun in the same way that uh, fjords is fun. So. I'm cautiously optimistic about Rise and Fall. Then we've got the Rival Networks, which is very cool because I love the Networks, which is a uh, card drafting game about players trying to run their own TV stations. And really fun sense of humor, neat art, and really excellent resource management card drafting gameplay. Rival Networks is a two-player standalone version of the networks. And I don't know what has changed to make it two-player only. It does say much of the gameplay of the original is uh, preserved, but streamlined, so it plays in 30 minutes. Oh, I'm interested in that. It's for two players only. Uh, Obviously, I'm interested in that because of Jen and me playing games. It's going to be on Kickstarter soon. And considering how fantastic uh, the networks is, I expect the rival networks maybe to be even better from designer Gil Hova. Bring it on, Gil. Rival Networks. Then there is Roads to Rome. Okay, what was the deal with this one? What pulled me in here? No, it's uh, the publisher, Holy Grail Games. Uh, Yeah, they have really been on fire for the last few years. Uh, I already covered Museum which was fantastic. And it's getting another expansion, which I'll talk about when I get to the expansions later on. Oh my God, I'm in an hour and a half and I haven't even made it to S yet. Yikes. All right, so uh, Museum is fantastic. Dominations is really, really good. I haven't gotten to play the final. I played a prototype of it. Gosh, must be a year and a half ago now and I thought that was really great and I believe it's coming soon if it hasn't already come out. And so, yeah, I'm just going based on the pedigree of the publisher. They uh, put out two games I like quite a bit and that carries a lot of weight with me, which is why Roads to Rome, which looks like a bright, colorful, route-building game of you know trying to build up the famous Roads to Rome and collect resources by doing it. I'm sure... You know, maybe that's not the most inspirational gameplay subject matters, but the publishers have certainly earned my trust up till now, which is why I have got Roads to Rome on my list. Okay, then, oh, Rococo Deluxe Edition. So, everything I said earlier about Kanban EV goes here. This arguably should have made my top 25. I didn't because. 
it is publisher Eagle Griffin Games picking up, uh, you know, a reprinting a game from another publisher. They've gotten the rights for it, and they will be tweaking it, changing it, upgrading it. But in spite of the what looks like to be wonderful new art from Ian O'Toole, oh, and don't get me wrong, the, the original game looked great too. Um, I don't know if much has really changed about the gameplay, uh, which is why I didn't put it in my top 25. Because if it's a game I've already played and it's still 90% basic Rococo, well then, yeah, I'm excited. It's on my top 100 list of most anticipated, but not my top 25. But if they have made radical changes and tweaks, because, you know, it says Matthias Kramer and the Maltzes are back working on it, then maybe it's, uh, maybe I, I will have made a mistake. Let's see here. It does include the, this, uh, this new, the uh, jewelry box and the festivities dresses expansions, as well as another new expansion. Oh, no, it's a solo mode. Ooh, that's cool. A solo mode. That's very nice. And uh, yeah, I suspect this one is going to be more... Yeah, it is the original game, which is really wonderful components. And uh, Rococo is fantastic. So I'm, And it's been out of print forever. It's been very hard to get, and the expansion's even more so. So it's great that it's coming back. And it looks like... It just looks gorgeous. It looks like it's going to... You know, Eno Till completely knocked it out of the park. So definitely um, excited for Rococo Deluxe Edition. Okay, then we move on to Role Player adventures. And this is the latest game in the role-player uh, fantasy universe of games. And, uh, you know, we had role-player, and then we had lock-up, and we had cartographers, and some role-player expansions. And so, you know, the most interesting thing about this game to me is the fact that this is a big fantasy adventure game. Travel the world, fight monsters, go on quests, all of that. Uh, it's got a story, it's storybook, narrative-driven stuff. Yeah, that's all cool. Uh, looks like it's got 11 core adventures and replayable side quests. Fine. Whatevs. I'm sure it's nice. Uh, what gets me excited, though, is what you can do is you can play original role player. Actually, and the, the, the point of the original game role player is that it was a game where it's all about creating a fantasy character who you would then take on an epic adventure if you were playing a pen and paper Dungeon and Dragon style game. The weird thing about role player is you win by making the the best character and then you never actually use the character. Now, with role player adventure, those characters we made in role player can actually go on big proper narrative story driven adventures and that's awesome. Now you don't need role player. I assume the game will come with just some system that lets you roll up characters really quick, but I think it'd be much more engaging to, you know, come up with my ultimate hobbit evil character and then send him out and have a series of adventures. I love that. I worry that uh, I, you know, I, I, I worry that this game has, you know, dice roll to resolve combat. I suspect it might. But I don't really know, so I worry that the gameplay won't necessarily work for us. Though the same way that um, what was it, Fiends and Familiars, or Monsters and Minions, Wh whichever one of the two expansions we've played, we weren't uh, fond of the way combat did. This will probably do combat in the same way. That'll probably be heartbreaking. But at this point, because there's not much concrete information, my fingers are crossed that um, this game will be as rich and Euroy and puzzly as Role Player is. Fingers crossed for Role Player. Adventures. Then there is the ruins of Mars. Okay, I let's see. I'm trying to remember what this was. This is about a Mars colonization game, and I think I there's something about the gameplay. Although it wasn't in the description, I had to go digging. Let's see if I can find it. Let's see what does it say here. 
Hmm. Okay, okay, here it is. Yeah. Although, okay, yeah, this description is misleading. It talks about, it, it gives the impression that this is a, a Moncala style game, but it's not exactly. Here's the thing we're building up outposts on Mars. Fine. Uh, and there's a collection, I forget what it was. I had to actually go watch a video demonstration of this to understand the, what makes this game so cool. There's, I, I forget what it was, there's like five different core actions you can take for. Uh, gathering resources or you know claiming land or whatever. And um, on each one of these actions, there's a bunch of little um, chips that give bonus resources and whatnot. And so you might have a particular type of resource you want, but it's not on the action you want to do. So do you go after the resources or the actions and take the resources you get? That's cool. I've seen that in other games. It works really beautifully. But here's the interesting thing. After I pick the action, grab the resources off of it, um, and then do whatever I'm going to do, those resources that came off, they get scattered to all the other actions, making all randomly making all those other actions more attractive to do in the future. And that's very cool. It, it sounds like just like a little dry procedural Euro-y thing, but I can imagine that making for really fun and interesting tense decisions, which is what put Ruins of Mars on my list. Because I have to admit, I'm, I, could, I could take or leave Mars at this point. I, I think I'm kind of Marsed out, but the gameplay here does sound very, very clever, which is why Ruins of Mars... Uh, which is why I just told you about it. Okay, then we go on to, oh, a Running Quest, Soul Raiders. Okay, this game is here for one reason and one reason only. It is uh, from Mark Andre, and hey, it's Mr. Splendor. I talked about Splendor before. Splendor never worked for me, but I did think it was a good design. Uh, Splendor designer Mark Andre has since gone on to do, oh, what was it, another game, it was actually fairly well received. Uh, what was it? Majesty for the Realm, which I don't remember how even I ever played it, but I heard good things about it. Uh, and then another one, Barony, I guess. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, Splendor is still one of the most popular gateway filler games out there. Like, you know, for reasons I talked about earlier, when uh, you know now that Mar- Marvel's getting uh, in on the Splendor action, a superhero version of Splendor. Anyway, I have been. Impressed by the design, even if it wasn't for us. So anything Mark Andre is going to do, I'm intrigued by. And this is a, uh, a, a what do you call it? Uh, is it a deck building game? Or is it a bag builder? Oh, I don't remember now. I just I, I saw. Oh, good, he's here again. He's doing a big fantasy cooperative adventure game. All right, cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. That's all I need to know. Okay. Looks like yeah, a deck builder, deck builder fantasy adventure cooperative game from the designer of Splendor. Cool. On it. Running Quest, Soul Raiders, sign me up. I am there. And that that was, oh, yeah, narrative campaign, sure. That's all fine. Uh, you know, the kind of stuff we sort of expect these days. But like I said, it's the fact that I want to see the Splendor guy do something new is what has brought me over to Running Quest, Soul Raiders. Okay, after that, we have got to talk about Santa Monica. Another game from Alderac Entertainment. Hey, wait a minute. How many games is this now from Alderac Entertainment? I That sounds like... I think we're at three now? Are we getting past the whole, hey, we're just trying to only put out a few games every year? Well, maybe they're still... But anyway, Santa Monica uh, is another game coming from them this year. Which struck me as one to seek out. And why was I interested in this one? Why indeed. It's from the designer of Cat Lady. Which is nice. Um, Cat Lady was cool. Although a little bit too lightweight for us. So it wasn't him. 
Uh, is it the fact that it's actually said in modern-day Southern California as we're trying to make um, SoCal neighborhoods? Well, that's interesting to me because I've certainly spent plenty of time down there. All righty. Oh, um, is it that we're building up a street and an associated beach right next to it? Okay, that's intriguing too. Yeah, I think it's just like a combination. I think Cat Lady was charming. And so, uh, you know, the follow-up to that... And it's set in modern-day Southern California. We're focusing on building up the, the best beach and the best real estate next to that beach. That sounds cool. That's what puts Santa Monica on the list. Okay. Then, moving right along, we have got the Seventh Cross. It feels like this has been on my list for many, many years. Actually, let's go back. How many times have I put this? Right, yeah, I've been putting this on Games of Interest Geek lists since 2017. So, folks, don't hold your breath. This may or may not be the year that we finally play 7th Cross. I've been putting this on the list for so long, I don't even remember why now. Let's go back and look at my 2017 description. Shall we? Let's uh, look back into the past. And what was I thinking all those years ago? Hmm, this is a new Arabian style, or Arabian Night style big storybook game? If so, interested. If it doesn't feature too much dice rolling. Okay. So three years ago, I didn't know too terribly much about this game. Let's uh, let, let's let's do a thought experiment. Let's see what I said in the subsequent years. Let's see what I said in 2018. And uh, and then we'll also we'll go to 2019. Let's see if I just copied the same thing over and over again. All righty. Uh, ooh, all righty. So. Oh, I mentioned that it's cross. So it's a big storybook adventure game crossed with NetHack style dungeon crawling. And features a 3D board. What the what? I said. And then I copied the same thing in 2019. Okay, so that's it. Big, you know, I mean, heck, back in 2017, a uh, Tales of Arabian Nights style story adventure book, that was a pretty big deal. These days, it's getting more and more common. It's not that big a deal. But NetHack style dungeon crawl and a three-dimensional board, yeah, I'm still interested in that. So I guess that's why it is still on my list. Let's see if over all these four years, they have managed to put... Although, actually, wait a minute. I'm looking at pictures of this. Now, there didn't used to be pictures here. That board doesn't look three-dimensional to me. It does look very net hackish, though. But this picture is from years ago. So who knows? I don't know. At this point, it's still on my list, be it just because it's tradition. Tradition. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Tradition. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been around so long. There's, you know, Tales of Arabian Nights and exploration elements like uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill form a Castlevania sort of narrative adventure. I think that's what they said all those years ago. Okay, fine. At this point, yeah, I'm just, I, I have no reason to expect it'll be out this year uh, since it hasn't shown up so far. But maybe Seventh Cross will be cool. I don't know. Like I said, I think I just on autopilot continuing to add it to lists because uh, I've been doing it for so long. But this next one, I'm definitely more interested in, and because uh, it's a brand new thing, the Shadow Kingdom of Valeria. And I have liked all the Valeria games. They've all been very, very sharp. Um, but uh, this one is from a, not from a regular Valeria designer. It is. Let's see, what is his name? It's yeah, uh, uh, Stanislav uh, Kordonovsky. And I know what has he done? Because oh, Dice Hospital. And Lockup, Role Player Tale. And Old West, Old West Empresario was phenomenal. Okay, and, and uh, Lockup was good and Dice Hospital were great. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, Stan, he is a designer to watch. 
Valeria is a series of games I have always enjoyed. Um, it's uh, the art by the Miko has always been phenomenal. There's three must-have reasons to put Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria on the board. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it continues to tell the story of the evolution of the Valeria Kingdom that we've been building up, over, but I don't even care about that. Um, yeah, Empresarios of the Old West was phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, the Miko, yeah, yeah, Valeria, yes, yes, must have it. Shadow Kings of Valeria. Phew, okie doke. After that, so, you've been eaten. Which is the name of a game that sadly did not make it to Essen Spiel. Originally, it was going to be at Essen. Everybody was super excited. It made a lot of people's most anticipated. But then, uh, publishing snafus didn't make it in time. And so since they couldn't make it, as I understand it, they said, okay, well, hey, let's not rush it out. Let's give it a little bit more time. They were kind of rushing the game to get it out in time for the show. And when it didn't make it, they decided to spend even more time developing it. And kudos to Ludi Creations and designer Scott Alms. Uh, I think uh, more publishers in the industry could exercise a little bit of restraint and let the game cook a little bit more. So that is very, very cool. And uh, the gameplay itself, I still really like the idea. One player in this two-player game, or you could play it solo, or you could even automate it and it plays by itself. One player is a space monster that likes to eat astronauts. Uh, and the innards of his stomach is full of good stuff from all the stuff he's eaten. The other player is a space miner who tends to go into live creatures, gets eaten by them, and gets all the stuff he wants, and then tries to get out before he's digested. That's a really cool idea. Scott Alms is a cool designer. Quan Chai Moria is a super cool artist. That's a whole lot of cool in a very little box. And the fact that they decided to give it more time so it could get even better is great. So, You've Been Eaten is definitely on my list for must-try games of 2020. Okay, then we've got Solomon Kane, which I think was on Kickstarter a few years ago now, and I guess is only just now maybe going to come out this year. I don't know much about it. I didn't pay much attention to it at the time. I don't really have any particular affinity to the fictional character Solomon Kane, which is, as I understand it, written by the same author who wrote the Conan novels. And yeah, Robert Howard. Yes, Robert E. Howard. And I guess he's a he's kind of like a Quaker superhero um, in that you know he's always. You know, fighting evil, but you know, trying to be uh, you know an upright Christian at the same time. I don't know. Very popular series, I guess. Yeah, he's a Puritan Avenger, apparently. Which you know, I could take or leave. Here's why it's on my list. Here's what's interesting about this game. You do not play as Solomon Kane in this game. You do not play as his underlings fighting alongside him. Instead, you players take on one of the cardinal virtues: courage, prudence, temperance, and justice. And we are trying to exert influence in our sphere to get Solomon Cain to do certain things. So, that's a really interesting idea. That Solomon Cain is a character in this world who is going to pursue his own agenda, and we are trying to manipulate that agenda as, you know, literally the angels on his shoulder. That's a cool idea. It may be neat, it may not be, but I'm really intrigued by that. A really fresh take. And um, I know how I would do it, and it'd be really cool. Whether uh, Jake Thornton and Mythic Games did it in an equally cool way, well, I'd be curious to find out. So it's on my list. Solomon Kane. Then, there is Streets. Okay, this is from Haxon Garter, 
who really made a big splash last year with Villagers, which is a super sharp little um, card drafting game that we liked quite a bit. This is his next game. Instead of building up uh, villagers full of a village full of villagers, we are now focusing on building up streets uh, by placing tiles. I guess growing up neighborhoods and whatnot. And honestly, just based on how good villagers was, I'm keen on trying streets. That's good enough for me. There's no art yet, unfortunately, which is too bad because I really like his art style as well. Uh, he is the guy who is responsible for the. Uh, um, controversial art of the uh, final reprint of, um, oh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Glory to Rome. And, uh, but then villagers turned out to be fantastic. So let's see if he keeps, if he's on a streak with streets. Then we've got Tang Gardens. The only reason this is on the list. So there's two reasons on the list. One, I mentioned him earlier. Francesco Testini did such a great job with the design of Xion. I am keen on trying other games from him. And who's he designing with? Uh, uh, Perluca Zini. That name sounds familiar to me. Should it? What have you done, Zini? Uh, oh, Hyperborea, Simlo. Yeah, I haven't actually. Or Al Rashid. I don't think I've played any of his games, but I've heard good things about. Oh, no, I did play Barbarian the Invasion. That was actually a very cool game. The worker placement volcano game. Okay, so these guys have made great games. I have played them. But that's half of it. The other half is the production value on this um, Zen style garden building game just looks absolutely phenomenal uh, because it's full of little 3D cardboard structures that represent the trees and the pagodas and all kinds of stuff. It looks like it's just going to be mind-numbingly gorgeous to play. Uh, so I am very keen on it for that reason, and that's reason enough. But then it's got two fantastic Italian designers working together. So Tang Garden, yes, please. T42. I mentioned this earlier. It's the return of Cedric. Cedric, you're back with uh, Space Cowboys. Um, you know, producing really interesting stuff. Uh, Lewis and Clark, you'll always have a pass for me. And now you're doing a cool little two player. Is this a trick taking game? I'm going to assume. No, it's a deck building, a two player only deck building game. Oh, set in Alice in Wonderland. T for two. Okay, fine. That's good enough for me. The art looks very nice. The design pedigree is amazing. Yes, T for two uh, for me and you. Okay, after that, moving on, we've got Theros, which, oh, this is a bag building game set in the Deluvia universe, which is very interesting. That is not something. I would have expected that um, Spielworks is trying to build up... Let's see, wasn't it kind of a steampunk floating cities? Yeah, it was that uh, building kind of Laputa Castle in the Sky steampunky type game, which was it was very cool, the Deluvia Project. They have now made a sequel. Um, I, see, I don't know if I recognize this designer. Burn Schlotz. Burn Schlotz is, yeah, this is pretty much his first game. Oh, he did something back in 2013, Travel the States. Never heard of it. But, um, you know, Spielworks makes sharp games. No two ways about it. Uh, bag building game. And uh, trying to do mining, winning influence as a leader of a guild. It sounds pretty straightforward. But I have to admit, I'm just intrigued because they decided to expand a universe that I don't think anybody was expecting them to expand. Theros is interesting for that reason right there. And then Spielworks, good pedigree. And hey, I like bag builders. Okay. After that, three sisters. Okay. Ben Pinchback, Matt Riddle, doing a strategic roll and write game 
Call three sisters. Dice drafting. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, you know, Matt Riddle and Ben Pitchback really made a name for themselves with Fleet. And was it last year or no, the year before, Fleet the Dice Game was fantastic. So these guys ha- have definitely proven that when they work together, they make cool stuff. This is apparently a farming game. Um, and yeah, that's enough for me. Uh, you know, a, a farming spiritual sequel to Fleet the Dice Game? Yes. What's it called? Three Sisters. Yes. Bring it on. Okay. Ah, Time Stories Revolution, the Cavendish Manor. I already talked about Time Stories in my top 25, which will be coming up later. So everything I said there applies here. Um, that's, that's cool. Reckless Children's penetrate a New England old manor house looking for their friend Damien, who has been missing for several days. All right, cool. Uh, with all the new twists and turns and changes they have made to the Time Stories formula, I am definitely interested in where this revolution is going. So definitely put the Cavendish Manor on my to-do list. After that, Traintopia. Ah, yes, this is another designer who definitely deserves watching. Uh, Prismic Wojtowski. Wojtowiak. Wojtowiak. Yeah, Prismic Wachtowiak. Um, Maybe you haven't heard of him, but Jen and I were super blown away by The Sanctuary, which was a game he put out a couple of years ago. Really amazingly sharp take on worker placement. Uh, Hard to describe, really. Best to go watch the run-through. Um, but anyway, we were very impressed by Sanctuary. He did another game last year called Rescue Animals, which unfortunately I didn't get a chance to play. But this is now going to be his third game. He has a couple of other ones, I guess. Although, I mean, those ones just slipped under the radar completely because they have Polish names and they'll probably never get English. I, I don't know. But anyway, Traintopia is from him. And it is a futuristic train paradise with networks and routes for goods, commuters, and tourists. Draft a tile, commuter, tourist, mailbag, or train from the current offer. Expand your network by adding newly drafted components. Tiles expand your routes. Computers and tur- commuters and tourists score victory points. Mailbags and trains provide in-game bonuses. Okay, drafting. But not just drafting one type of thing, drafting all kinds of different types of things at once. That sounds very cool. But like I said, Sanctuary was so good, I'm instantly going to be interested in anything this guy is up to. And his next game, and it looks like a very nice bit of cover art, is Traintopia. Okay. Almost done, folks. And we've got another 2021 game, which I fully expect will probably end up on Kickstarter in 2020. It's Transhumanity and it's from Mind Clash. I talk quite a bit about Mind Clash because they've got a game in my top 25. Suffice to say, the makers of Tracurian have um, continually proven themselves to really push the envelope in terms of overproduced, incredibly complex, compelling, and compulsive Euro games. This one, about um, you know mankind's future, I think it's going to be a singularity type thing. It's a story-driven cooperative campaign game where the sun disappears from the sky and a scarlet dwarf star takes its place. No one knows why the leap happened, but it was an act of superior intelligence of unknown... Oh, that's intriguing. I didn't really know much about this story. I assume it was going to be like another, uh, you know, AI type thing, but it's not. It's a game based on award-winning science fiction novel from Brandon Hackett. Okay. 
That's all cool. I didn't need it though. Explore point-to-point movement on uh, post-leaf multiple Earths. So it's, you know, trans-dimensional... Tra- I don't know. I don't know. It's Mind Clash. It's their next big game. I'm interested. That's all you need to know. But wow, it sounds like it's got a lot of really cool far-out science fiction stuff as well. So that's very neat. Transhumanity. Although, again, not till 2021, but probably Kickstarter this year. I'd be willing to bet. Oh, we're almost done, folks. Unlikely Heroes. This is not what it used to be called. And it has been on my list going back to at least 2015. I have been talking about this game. Let's look at my description from 2015. Um, I've loved this game ever since I first heard about it. You're a humble villager who wants to defend your town from rampaging barbarians, so you get training from the village elders. But if you spend too much time training, the town will be overrun. A clever balancing act must be struck, it would seem. Oh yeah, it used to be called Last Bastion. Now it is called Unlikely Heroes. I have been putting it... This is another one. It's just tradition at this point. I have been putting this on my list for half a decade now, and so I must continue doing it until this game comes out. And ironically... It doesn't look like the actual description of the game itself has changed at all. But presumably the publisher just keeps on pushing it out year after year after year. So maybe this will be the year. Unlikely, but maybe we'll get some unlikely heroes. (laughs) Okay. Then, Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Okay, very exciting about this. Um, And man, did I see Tom Vassell just do a video for this the other day? Did he already get a copy of this? Why didn't they send me a copy? I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. Who knows? Uh, But anyway, um, this is the latest from Shem Phillips and uh, S.J. McDonald. Uh, I think it's Sam. And yeah, uh, was it Architects of the West Kingdom? Blew it out of the water. Everybody loves it. And then followed up by Paladins of the West Kingdom last year. Boom! Super smashing, awesome Euro uh, tableau building game. So, there is no reason not to expect Viscounts to be amazeballs as well. A pool building game of some sort. I'll have, once again, art from the Miko. So it's going to look great. It's going to play great. Why isn't it in my top 25? Probably because, as much as I like Paladins... There was one, I think, pretty substantial mistake made in the design that was enough of a turnoff that I didn't ultimately seek out getting the final version. So that's kind of soured me a little bit. But it was a minor thing. I complained about it in my actual final thoughts in my run-through. A little bit too much randomness. But the core game is still so good that, yeah, I'll seek out Viscounts of the West Kingdom. You better believe it. And yeah, there's no video from Tom Vassell, so it must have been something else I'm thinking of. So yeah, the West Kingdom is back, baby. Third time, well, the first two times were charmed, so the third time will probably be charming as well. This counts, the West Kingdom. Oh, uh, I think this is my last, really, it's a 2021 game, but I'm including it here because it'll probably be on Kickstarter in 2020. It's Weather Machine from Vito Lasarda and Eagle Griffin Games. This has been on uh, Vital's list for a long time. He's been working on this for years. But just looking at it, I see I see screenshots. I see pictures of what looks like a very final um, and really well done uh, prototype. So that makes me think this might be the year that um, we get to play this game where players... Uh, it looks like it's probably a Victorian-era game where players are trying to build... Yeah, it's a steampunk alternate universe where we're making a weather machine. A machine to control the weather uh, by buying and selling resources, feeding the machine, 
um, shooting the machine results, shooting snow, rain, sun, wind, hurricanes, and fog, completing contracts because people want weather once you can make the weather. Uh, oh, it uses the action selection quadrille created for Vinos. Oh, baby, I love that. It is amazing. So, yeah, this is very exciting. Um, I, and the reason it didn't make my top because it's officially doesn't come out this year, so I really couldn't in good conscience put it in my top 25 most anticipated. But yeah, that Vinos action selection system, still one of the best ever made. And cool, a cool steampunk weather shooting machine simulation. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool too from Vita Lasarda. Fingers crossed for the weather machine. Two more to go, folks. Welcome to New Las Vegas. Here's the deal. Welcome to, which I already covered a while ago, has had two years ago now, or a year and a half ago, has had several neat expansions, <clears throat> sadly, none of which I have played. Um, publisher, uh, Deepwater, please send me some of those expansions. I'd love to cover them. But in the meantime, this sounds like it's a sequel. It's not just doing the same thing, but um, instead of building a suburb, we're actually building up Las Vegas. We still do the same... Um, Flip and resolve, draw a card, everybody does something. But apparently, um, we're now building casinos and whatnot. So it's a little bit more than just building up a suburb. And uh, yeah, uh, Welcome To is phenomenal. So I expect Welcome To New Las Vegas to also be phenomenal in 2020. And the last one, this is the third game where they are re... They're deluxifying an older game. This time, it's Yido. Yido, the Deluxe Master Set, is back. And I'm so happy about that because the design team of Thomas Van Ginst and Wolf Plank, uh, you know, they've been putting out good stuff for years, and yet they always just seem to end up, through bad luck, ending up with, less, with, with, with amazing designs that falter in terms of publication, either because of bad timing or bad components. And I'm hoping, finally, the curse is broken for them here. Uh, and Yido, which was a phenomenal worker placement game that had the bad luck to come out a few months after the monster hit of, uh, of uh, was it Lords of Waterdeep, and it had a passing familiarity to Lords of Waterdeep, so everybody thought it was a Lords of Waterdeep ripoff, when in fact it had been in development longer than Lords of Waterdeep, it just had bad timing, and it was a really, really cool worker placement uh, mission completion game that Jen and I liked quite a bit. Well, it's getting a Deluxe Master set now at long last, and it deserves it, and I'm very happy about that, and hopefully it'll make it in 2020, as it says right here. And... Phew. Okay, folks, we are two hours in. And now, after I go get some water, I'll be back and we can talk about expansions. Hang on. Okie dokie. We are back. And it's time to talk about expansions, and this should go a bit quicker. Because I don't think I have to go super into detail about all of them. Not that I'm going super into detail about anything, but I need to move it, move it. So let's just start once again. These are just in alphabetical order like before, which means we are going to start with Anachrony, Fractures of Time, and Anachrony, Future Imperfect. Now, one of those, Fractures in Time, I actually covered when it was on Kickstarter last year. I don't think I covered Future Imperfect, though. Uh, maybe it's going to... I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, I, I can say Fractures of Time was neat. Introducing this idea of glitches, because the space-time continuum is starting to break down. And so you could say, oh, there's a glitch. 
And everybody thought I did this worker placement action, but I actually did another one instead. You can't tell because time glitched out. And so that was actually cool. Although, if I recall correctly, I wasn't 100% on board with the extra randomness that was added to the game with extra dice rolls. It's been a while. You can go back and watch my video for that. Uh, Anyway, the other one, Future Imperfect, sounds even cooler because it's really leveraging the whole time travel aspect of the game because now you can actually jump to alternate dimensions, I guess. And uh, in addition to sending back resources to your past self, you can spend back actual actions to your past self. So it means you could say, oh, I'm going to go on ahead and do this particular action and get the rewards, but you don't actually have to do the action until later on when it actually comes time for you in the timeline. Cool ideas. Anachrony is already such a cool core concept. Uh, These are just adding more and more and more. Because that's what Mind Clash does. They throw everything in the kitchen sink in. Alrighty. They are kind of the masters of kitchen sink. After that, we've got Architects of the West Kingdom, the Age of Artisans, which is cool. We're not done with the West Kingdom yet. Let's see, what do you get? New crafting cards, a dual-layered guild hall board, and uh, new apprentices and buildings. So it sounds like kind of, hey, more of the stuff you already love, as opposed to like, you know, fundamentally changing the core formula. And that's okay. This is surprising. Who expected there to be an expansion for the Big Book of Madness coming out? I thought that was definitely a one and done, which was a shame because it's a really cool cooperative fantasy kind of Harry Potter-esque deck builder. And so this expansion, the Veith Element, and it, actually it's weird. It's it's the fifth element, but it's like a Roman numeral, so it's like a V. So I guess you say it's the Veith Element. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, it adds new permanent madness cards that you can't get rid of, dark matter and phobias, uh, new monsters to fight, new magicians to play as. That all sounds cool. Who would have thought? I'm very happy about that. Uh, Big Book of Madness, the Veith Element. Then there is Crusaders, Divine Influence, which is excellent. Four new orders, each with special powers, uh, new building types. That definitely sounds like a more of the same type expansion, but Crusaders is really awesome. So how about some Divine Influence? Then there is... Oh, this one's crazy. Dominion Menagerie. Like, ah! I thought, finally, maybe all the Dominion stuff was done. So I finally did my top 10 countdown of all the Dominion expansions. But now Menagerie is coming out, and I'm going to have to refigure that list out. And I'd be willing to bet Menagerie is probably, at least for Jen anyway, going to scream to the top. Because this one's all about getting animals. You know, dogs and horses and turtles and elephants and stuff. Don't really know how that works. The description is mostly just kind of jokey animal puns. But you better believe Jen is going to love grabbing animal... Any game where there's some animal cards, those will be what she focuses on. So that's actually very neat. I, lo- I look forward. I know most people don't care, but I personally look forward to how it's thematically integrated into the game. Okay, Dominion Menagerie. Then there is the Edge of Darkness, the Cliffs of Cold Harbor. And that's fantastic, because Edge of Darkness is amazing. I already talked about it earlier when I was talking about uh, John D. Clare. And so this one says it's got new locations and, uh, you know, multiple... Yeah, it it definitely... You know, Edge of Darkness is really a deck builder of sorts, and a deck builder expansion means more new cards to mix and match. That's cool. Bring it on. Let's go to Cold Harbor. 
Then there is Endeavor, the Age of Expansion. And I definitely remember I covered this on uh, when it was on Kickstarter last year, and it was excellent. Really pushes the game further than it's ever been before with all the new types of buildings, so you get so much replayability now. Phenomenal. Uh, Endeavor, the Age of Expansion. After that, this one. Whoa, talk about another surprise. Just coming out of nowhere. Fresco Expansion Modules 11 through 14. Four new modules. The Damsels, the Catacomb, the Dome, and the Church Pews. I, this is amazing to me. I mean, how old is Fresco now? I'm going to look it up. Fresco came out in 2010. So just in time for its 10th anniversary, a new big box expansion with four new modules. That is phenomenal. Talk about a must-have. Although, there is no way this is going to fit in my... Currently, everything I've got for Fresco fits in my original Fresco box. I don't have a big box. There's no way more stuff is going to fit. That's a problem. Hopefully, this Fresco... Big bo- uh, the, the Fresco expansion module is like a really deep box, so that can become the basic Fresco box. Fingers crossed. But that's just phenomenal. More Fresco. Very happy about that. Then there's Gugong Panjun. This was a very cool expansion to an amazing worker placement game. This, I would almost consider it to be must-have based on what I saw when I did the Kickstarter run-through, which you can go back and check on the channel. But the Summer Palace, the Peasant's Revolt, the Palace Stairs, and um, new decrees and gift cards, all really good stuff. Really, I mean, the Palace Stairs especially. Oh, no, they were all really good stuff. Uh, So, more good Gugong. Okay. Heroes of Tenefer, The Second Curse. I have to admit, I didn't even know Heroes of Tenefer had come out. I covered it when it was on Kickstarter quite a while ago. It was a very sharp little... Uh, well, I guess kind of a deck builder, where to get the cards to build your deck, you have to fight them. Because you fight them, and then you flip them over and add them to your deck so you become stronger. It was a neat little game. And so, hey, any deck builder, more cards is a good thing. The Second Curse adds 130 new cards. That's a lot. That's nice. So hooray for Heroes of Tenor for getting some more love with the second curse. Then we've got Imperial Settlers, Empires of the North. And we last year we had the Japanese faction. Now we're getting Roman Banners, uh, which includes two different Roman decks and new island cards. So that's cool because uh, Empires of the North is awesome. Then, Isle of Cats Late Arrivals, which looks like it adds more boats, more cats, more objective cards, etc., etc. And now you can go up to a player count of six, apparently, although I think the game plays great at two. It's interesting. Um, I think I am the only person that officially, or the only reviewer who officially recognizes Isle of Cats as a 2019 game, which is why it made my top 10 of the year, um, because it came out like in the last week of the year. And it was fantastic. More stuff. That is good. Uh, it's particularly good because I'm sure most people will not even know the game exists because they consider it a tw- it's all weird. Doesn't matter. Isle of Cats, late arrivals, ironically titled, seeing as how the, it was early in terms of its launch date. Okay, then we've got the Madeira expansion, which is another expansion I covered when it was on Kickstarter last year with uh, you know new starting tiles, uh, uh, captain tiles, uh, King's Demand that replaced the King's Request tiles, and new roles, uh, which added a bunch of new stuff. I was really impressed by this, but as I said in my run-through, it almost... Well, I mean, Madeira is already almost too heavy. And this... 
takes it even further. I mean, to the breaking point and beyond. But if you want more heavy, I mean, stuff to where your brain will forget about melting down. You you will go nuclear nuclear with this. It just gets so incredibly complex. This game, um, once you start adding in all this additional stuff, it's insane. The uh, Madeira expansion. Then we've got, oh, uh, Marvel Champions, The Wrecking Crew, and Marvel Champions Thor. Hooray, more Marvel Champions stuff. Although I've yet to get anything other than the base box. I'm really looking forward to try out all these things. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Wrecking Crew is awesome because it's like a boss. It's actually four different bosses at once because it's a boss group you have to fight. That's nice. And Thor, I haven't even looked at how he works with throwing hammers and being able to recover his hammer and, you know... Uh, does he change into Donald Blake? I don't even know yet. I'm looking forward to finding out, though, because Marvel Champions is awesome sauce. And then here's another surprise. Museum Historians. And Museum already has, like, one, two, three, four, five full expansions available to it. And now a whole new one that sounds like a pretty big game-changer because you can take the finds you've got and send them off to historians and temporarily remove them from the game. That's pretty cool. Uh, would like to see how it works out, although I've yet to even get to try all the base games expansions that came out. Ah! But yay for more Museum. And also, yay for Mystic Veil Nemesis. More Mystic Veil cards, cards, cards. And uh, that is that is excellent. Although, uh, one thing they've called out is an exciting new variant for a solitaire game. Ooh, that is very interesting. Was Did Mystic Veil support... Two, was it, did it support solo originally? I don't think so. Did it? Let me take a quick look. No! So now you can play Mystic Veil solo? That is very cool. Mystic Veil Nemesis, maybe the coolest expansion yet. Okay, then there is New Frontiers Starry Skies. And New Frontiers made my top 10 for 2018. Because it just came out right at the tail end of 2018. And it's phenomenal. I think it's better. I mean, uh, New Frontiers is basically... Uh, Race for the Galaxy, the board game, and I think it is superior to Race for the Galaxy, and now it's starting to get expansion content, new worlds, new developments, um, you know, awesome. More, 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 please, and thank you. Then, I don't know about this one, Role Player, Fiends and Familiars. So yes, I wasn't quite sure which was which. I covered Monsters and Minions. I think that's what the first one was called. And so this is the second one, and while... I really liked the ideas. I just was not at all fond of, you know, such a rich, heavy dice usage game where you roll the dice and then decide how to use them. To throw in all of that roll-to-resolve stuff just really kind of flew counter. I mean, heck, I talked about this earlier when I did my role-player adventures mention. So they're getting Fiends and Familiars, and it looks like it's doubling down on the gameplay. It's interesting. It, you have to have the monsters and minions to be able to play Fiends and Familiars. I don't know why... Um, and I worry it's just getting further and further away from what makes role players so great, but who knows? We'll see for fiends and familiars. Then there is Runestones Enchanted Forest, which I think, is that the second or the third expansion already for Runestones, which was an awesome little, very unique deck builder with one of the coolest card selection systems I've ever seen. You can watch the run-through I did for it originally. Really sharp stuff. And of course, any deck builder could use more cards, more cards, more cards. So yeah, bring it on. 
Then there is sailing for towards Osiris, the Pharaoh's Pyramid, which adds a new goal to the game. In addition to everything else we were already doing in that crazy point salad of a game, now we are actually trying to contribute to the building of the pyramid before the Pharaoh dies. So that's cool. More stuff for a neat, neat game. Uh, Sleeping Gods, Tides of Ruin. And now, from what I saw of Sleeping Gods, there was already plenty of adventure content in that game, but this provides you with what? Uh, and another additional storytelling book with new adventure cards, enemies, events, and more! And it seamlessly combines with the base game to make the world even bigger. And the game and the world was already huge. Okay, then there is Spirit Island Jagged Earth. It's finally coming out. I mean, this was on Kickstarter a few years ago, I think. And new scenarios, spirits, adversaries, island boards, event cards, fears and blocks, Major and minor power cards, um, you know, just tons and tons and tons. new more plastic, wooden and cardboard tokens, taking it up to six players. Oh, I can't imagine that. It's already such a long game. But um, new play options combining adversaries playing with archipelago split islands. Wow! So there's a lot of content there. A lot. That's pretty impressive for Jagged Earth Spirit Island. Then Teotihuacan uh, Shadow of. I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Uh, X-I-T-L-E. Um, and unfor- I know X is normally pronounced as a sh, so it's X-I-T is basically... Uh, I'm going to say it's Shadow of uh, Shadow of Shitle. Shitle. So it doesn't sound like what I think it sounds like. But anyway, a new expansion for Teotihuacan, which is fantastic. The coolest thing from the listing here is completely two technologies, because I thought that was really awesome that you could mix up the layout of the rondelle. Now you can put radically different things into the rondelle as part of setup, plus other things too, but that's actually really, really cool. Looking forward to that. Tiny Town's Fortune. This is a very tiny little expansion, adding a bunch of new buildings, and more importantly, the concept of money which I like in theory, but I worry about this one because you can use that money to get around the harsh restriction the games put you under. And that's what makes the game so amazing is those incredibly harsh restrictions. So it'll be interesting to see how this actually plays out. Uh, uh, Spoiler alert, they've already sent it to me, so I've got it. I just haven't had a chance to play it yet. And then finally, Zanguo Expansion. And I'll let the Board Game Geek description speak for itself. Zanguo Expansion is, if I had to hazard a guess, an expansion for Zanguo. So that's all I can tell you. Uh, uh, We'd love to hear some more information from What's Your Game, but I guess they're playing their cards close to their vests. I'm sure we'll hear more. I'm sure this will be out for Essence Spiel. All right, folks, that was it. Nice and quick. Uh, Some new expansions, and I'm sure plenty more coming over the course of the year. But now, if you hold on, we'll be right back, and we will do a quick rundown of all the Kickstarters I've loved before that will be finally arriving at your door. I just made that up. Uh, so, Kickstarter recaps coming up after this. Okie dokie. Kickstarter review time. And this should go pretty quick as well. Looks like I got around 20. Or is it 22, I think, to mention. As always in this particular podcast, sorted by alphabetical order. So let's start with the Bs for Burgle Brothers 2, the Casino Capers. 
which was a very, very cool upgrade to Burgle Brothers. And in fact, I mean, it pretty much destroyed Burgle Brothers. I can't imagine playing um, the original one after playing 2 because it adds so much really cool stuff. And I'm looking forward to seeing the final box because if they pull off what they were promising in the Kickstarter where the box itself becomes part of a multi-story building that you can explore through, that, that'll be amazing. And so, uh, Burgle Brothers 2 The Casino Capers coming soon. Then there's Dungeon Drop, which was such a sweet, charming little uh, dungeon uh, game where your dungeon was made by getting a big old handful of cubes, dropping them, they scatter all over the place, and then that represents the the monsters and the treasures that you have to navigate your way through. Really sharp, fun stuff. Great gateway game. But a gateway game that you could enjoy, you know, the gamer geeks could enjoy as well because of neat special powers and whatnot. I would say this for all of these. Go check out my run-through to see why I was so impressed by it. Uh, and I'm glad to see it's coming. Dungeon Drop. Then there's Ether Fields from Awakened Realms. Like I said earlier, these guys are on fire. Guys and girls? I don't know. I've only ever talked to guys who work there. But uh, this was a really freaky, far-out, dreamscape creep show of a game with some very cool and clever gameplay mechanisms. And... It kind of almost defied description. It was weird that after I was done with my run-through, I had no idea what was going on narrative-wise because uh, you as a player are effectively a, uh, oh, what's it called? An, an unreliable narrator. Uh, so really far out, and I, I think it'll really surprise a lot of people, Etherfields. Then there is Goetia, the Nine Kings of Solomon. Sadly, this failed to fund last year. So I don't know if it's actually coming out, but I really hope so because it was such a sharp take on worker placement. I mean, it's right up there with Targi in terms of really reinventing the core of what worker placement is. And in case you like that sort of thing, it's also all about demon worship. So it's got that going for it too. Um, although I think that's a large part of why it didn't succeed because while there were certainly a bunch of hardcore demon fans who came out of the woodwork to support it, I think the game would have done a little bit better with a more universally broad appealing setting. But we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed for Goisha, the Nine Kings of Solomon. Then there is Grand Carnival, which was a very sharp uh, tile drafting, Tetris tile puzzling uh, game that had two parts. First, you put down the ground floor. Then you build the attractions for your carnival on top of it. Neat game. We really liked it. I think it was successful. After that, we've uh, got... Oh, man, I remember... I, I, they told me how to pronounce it. It's been so long. I don't remember how to pronounce... Akayon, I'm going to say, which was a very Euro-y pick-up-and-deliver game. And I have to admit, it was a little bit too pick-up-and-deliver for us, even though it was uh, uh, you know, a really beautiful production and all that in this fantasy world where you're trying to get the right resources to the right place to save the all-world. But what really made Akayon so spectacular was how it... Oh, what was it? It combined, if you get a Kion and you get its previous game, Mythsy, which was a uh, area control style game set in the same fantasy world, the two games can combine to become a third game that was a cooperative game that Jen and I did actually enjoy. So fans who've been wanting to try that, if they already have Mythsy and then they look for a Kion, they'll be able to get the fall, which is very, very neat. After that, Kingdom Rush, Rift in Time. Very, very cool tower defense game. Uh, crossed with, basically, Polyomino-style Tetris puzzling. Really, really sharp game. We like this one a lot. And uh, after that, we got Legacies, which was a very 
May, it was certainly in the running for the biggest, heaviest, most ambitious Euro of the year because this is a game that tells the story of a family dynasty over 300 years, starting in the 1800s, ending in the 21 in the in the 2000s, I guess, in the 21st century. As uh, you know, you you build up you know an, an empire that truly leaves a legacy, and so much interplay between players, positive interplay, unlike uh, most games, really very impressive. Our only problem with it was, is probably too long. We would like a express version of the game. I don't know if they're going to do anything like that, but it was still very impressive. Legacies. Then you've got Manchikuo. Wow, this was a really interesting take on worker placement, and um, and also a game with a lot of historical verisimilitude because it was about the Japanese occupation of mainland China, uh, circa World War II, and uh, had a lot of very cool ideas. The way worker placement in this game is really quite unlike anything else I'd ever seen. So we liked that one a lot. A lot. Then you got Margraves of Valeria, which. Uh, there is no, I, I, I'm pretty sure I made this comparison at the time. To me, it is the closest I've ever seen board games come to Heroes of Might and Magic. And that includes Heroes of Might and Magic, the board game. And for that reason, we loved it. And I would love to see the final version because, of course, I love Art by the Miko. And uh, he is very closely tied with the Valeria series. So it was a very sharp game. Merchant's Cove, another game featuring the art of the Miko. And this was awesome because everybody's a merchant competing for the business of... Customers who are coming in via boat, but everybody is a different type of merchant who plays a radically different style of game. Whether one player is playing a roll and write, one player is playing a marble matching game, and but it's all to make your own stuff to sell. I loved it, except for the fact that it was so cutthroat. It was a really, um, you know, the the com the competition to capture the attention of customers was really aggressive and in your face, and that kind of turned it off for me and Jen, which was heartbreaking. Um, I, I, maybe they addressed that a little bit. I don't know. But still, the core game was really neat. Roll and Write, the dice game. Neat little Roll and Write. Very abstract, but very fun. And, I mean, you gotta love the title. Roll and Write. And uh, after that, Rome and Roll. Another Roll and Write. And the one that makes this one stand out from all the others is, this is maybe, to date, the heaviest Roll and Write that ever came out. Because this is a comparable to a nice mid-weight Euro. It's got a lot of stuff going on as you're rebuilding Rome and building up the roads. And the coolest thing about it, though, is, well, as I mentioned earlier, the positive interactions that exist between players. That I create opportunities for you, and when you take advantage of them, it benefits me. Really great stuff. My only problem was, though, as I recall, it really needed some player scaling. Because at two players, you could just do what you wanted. There was never really kind of any pushback. And I think it needed a little bit more tension. Maybe they addressed that. I don't know. Then you got Runica and the Six-Sided Spellbooks. This was a really neat little puzzly... Uh, you know, slide puzzle game, uh, slide puzzle Euro, where you're trying to make combinations of runes, sliding them onto a board to cast spells. It was super charming, fun, fast little game, nice gateway, but with a little bit of heft to it. Then there was Search for Planet X. This is a very cool game that does require an app, and it's basically... The, the trappings of Mastermind, but uh, set into the theme of actually scanning the nighttime sky to look for the mysterious planet X, you know, the ninth planet of our solar system, and trying to discover it through inference based on um, celestial observations you make. And only you get to know what those observations are because an app tells you. 
Really neat stuff. Really great app integration in Search for Planet X. And there was Seize the Bean. This is the oldest. I think that I did this back in 2018. I did this two years ago. I covered this when it was on Kickstarter. And I think it might finally be coming out. Neat deck builder uh, where you are running a coffee shop in Berlin. And your deck is you know, the powers you have to run your shop, but it's also full of customers you have to serve. That worked really nicely, as I recall. Sovereign Skies was a very uh, nice rondelle game that gives you so much more freedom than most Rondell games because you can about face. You can pay to go further and uh, lots of another game that had really cool moments of you creating opportunities for me if I can be in the right place at the right time. Oh, and also, it was a game about deep space colonization that was about working with people rather than subjugating them, which I thought was a really wonderful uh, you know, narrative lesson to be learned in Sovereign Skies. And then there was Space Race. And this is basically the board game version of Space Race the card game. And I think it might be better than Space Race the card game, which was already a phenomenal game. If you had to own one, I think you'd probably want the the base board game. But they're both great. And Space Race the card game is so portable. Um, All right, anyway, so the, the Space Race, the board game is coming. As is Tasty Humans. This is another polyomino-style game that does the right thing that most games don't. That They basically replicate Tetris in that when you get your polyomino pieces, you have to put them at the top of your board and slide them into position so you're more restricted with the puzzly trying to be most efficient about space usage. The brilliant thing about this is uh, the polyomino pieces are the humans that we're eating because we're big monsters. And as they slide down into our stomach, they can break apart into component pieces. And that added a really excellent excellent extra level of complexity that separates it from all the other polyomino games on the market. Then there was Time of Legends Destinies. Talk about app integration. This is probably the most ambitious app game to date. Um, And a really, really sharp adventure narrative-driven game where you're traveling around the world trying to solve mysteries. And the thing that makes it different than everything else on the market, I don't know if anybody else has done this, it's competitive. Normally these games are cooperative as we travel around and try to solve mysteries. But in this competitive game, we're racing to solve our own individual mysteries. And as you make breakthroughs, if I pay attention to what you learn, it can help me on my mysteries. Really beautiful atmospheric game. Although it was a little bit on the simple side. Um, but you know, that's because it's really a gateway game and a really good one at that. Then we got Tungaru, which was a neat pick up and deliver game, kind of crossed with almost a bingo style thing. It, it's, it's not quite like anything else that's out there. It is a, definitely a euro of, of harvesting resources and using them to convert into points and, and stuff that makes you points. It was a neat game, good presentation. I think the art was by, uh, Bosley. If I recall correctly, is that right? But anyway, I liked it. It was from the Mosses and a good solid design. And then finally, Ugly Christmas Sweaters, which really surprised me in general. I thought it was just going to be a, a cute little knickknack of a game, but it was. if you turn on all the, the modules, it gets surprisingly deep and crunchy in the best possible way. And I look forward to having a final version so I've got a proper Christmas game. Because you can play it the easy mode, which means it's a good gateway, 
or you can play it in the heavy mode. And it's coming. And we missed this Christmas, but it'll be ready in time for next Christmas if you want to knit some ugly Christmas sweaters. Okay, folks, that was it. There were a few other Kickstarter games that are probably coming out that I covered over the last year, but these were the ones that Jen and I really liked. Um, although there's a few more as well that we really loved, and they are going to be mentioned in the top 10 or the top 25 which is what's coming next. But otherwise, folks, uh, well, we're at two and a half hours and I am done. And so I am going to say, in case you've already heard the Top 25 Countdown, thanks for listening. Have a very nice day. Talk to you later. Be sure to send questions to questions at rado.com because we'll be back to normal next month. Jen will be here and we need some questions. We're kind of low at the moment. Um, so anyway, thanks for listening. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. And if you haven't heard the Top 25, hold on. We'll be right back and we'll count that down as well. Hey everybody! Today, Rado runs through his most anticipated games for 2020. Before we get to that, Happy New Year, everybody! It's a brand new year and a brand new decade, if you can believe it. The 20s are upon us. And you know what? They could not come soon enough. I, for one, am happy to put the 2010s behind us uh, because I am looking forward with hope and optimism about what we might be seeing in the coming years. But today, I'm really going to narrow that hope and optimism and focus on two games because I've got 25 games that I am very, very excited about that should be coming out over the next 12 months. And I'm going to run them down for you, counting them down from least to most anticipated for you right now. Although, that's just scratching the surface because when I made this list, I found another 80 or so games that I could have put on here. There's a lot of good stuff in the queue, folks. And if you want to hear about more of it, you can check out the next episode of my podcast, Rotto Talks Through, which... Originally, I was thinking I'd record right after this, but it's getting on towards the end of New Year's Eve, and I just got to get this video done. So we'll save that sometime in the next few days. I'll talk about all the new expansions that are coming and all the games that didn't quite make this Top 25. One thing I should say, though, is this Top 25 is based entirely on the board game database of Board Game Geek. If Board Game Geek says it's coming in 2020, I have considered it. I know there probably are some games that are coming that aren't in the database yet, and as a result of that, I'm not going to include them. I'm looking at you, Pandemic Legacy 3. Fingers crossed 2020 is the year, but it won't make this list because here we are, as of December 31st, uh, 2019, it does not actually exist in any official capacity. So there's going to be a few games you might expect me to mention that we all are expecting to come, but they won't be here. But in spite of that, there are so many amazeball titles, and I think you guys have waited long enough. Would you like me to start counting down for you? Yes? Then uh, let's get going with my number 25... Return to Dark Tower. Okay, and before I get going in on this, I should say, personally, as a child of the 70s, born in April 1969, I should be the target audience for this game. Because back in the early 80s, 1981, I think, a game came out called Dark Tower. It was a board game that had a an electronic tower at the center that beeped and booped and made noises. And apparently this game is such a huge part of the childhood of so many board game geeks out there that there is an unprecedented amount of enthusiasm for returning to the Dark Tower at long, long last. Now, 
I have never played the original Dark Tower. Don't know hardly anything about it. I was more of a uh, crossbows and catapults kid myself in the 80s. Uh, but even still, I am keen to see what they come up with because uh, you know, I believe Rob Davio, Mr. Legacy himself, is the lead designer on this. But he's got a whole group of guys he's working with, including Isaac Childress, Mr. Gloomhaven. And here's the thing. If the original game had an electronic tower that beeped and booped and did events and whatnot, well, these days with smartphones and whatnot, you better expect that they're going to uh, push it to the next level. And that's what they say they're going to do because this tower, this board game, will be paired with a technological interface unlike any seen before in games, including the titular tower, which holds more than a few secrets. I'll be honest, that in and of itself is intriguing and enticing enough to me because personally, I love the uh, the uh, interplay between digital and analog gaming. And so, they're promising to push it in a way that nobody ever has before. So, of course, I've got to return to the Dark Tower, even if I never went there in the first place. So, that's my number 25. Return to Dark Tower. And we've got number 24, Time Stories Revolution. And here, I just made reference to A Midsummer Night, which is going to be one of the new chapters of the new saga of Time Stories. And, oh man, talk about a shift from the 2010s to the 2020s. Forget everything you know about Time Stories. Uh, at the end of the last decade, the original Time Stories died. All, it has gotten a massive makeover remake that is going to be the second series, the Blue Series or the Revolution Series. And uh, Midsummer Night is one. There's going to be at least two other expansions, in theory, that will come out. Although, that's one change right off the bat. None of these are expansions. From now on, every time stories you buy is a standalone box. You don't have to have a central thing that you uh, keep plugging other cards into. And uh, more importantly, the most important evolution of time that has me most excited is the fact that they are dropping dice. No more rolling five bajillion dice over and over and over and over again. They've replaced the skill test system with something that is kind of similar, in all honesty, to Gloomhaven. Which, of course, I love, because Gloomhaven is one of my favorite games of all time. And so that is very, very cool. But I think what a lot of people will be excited about is the Groundhog Day nature of the game is no more. From now on, you start a time-traveling adventure where you go into the past and try to make right what once went wrong, and you will do it in one uh, contiguous narrative story. You will not get so far, run out of time, and then have to reset the whole game, and then Groundhog Day try to montage, speed through the stuff you've done. Uh, you will, From start to finish, it'll be a much more standard adventure game. And I imagine for a lot of people, that is music to their ears. Honestly, I love the Groundhog Day system of the previous, so that is one thing that I will mourn, that I will sadly miss, but I don't mind if it's dumping the dice. And so I cannot wait to see more new and exciting chapters of the Time Story Saga moving into the 2020s. And A Midsummer Night will be just one of them. And let's see, that's number 24. Number 23 is Deckscape Duel Pirates Island. I have repeatedly said that Deckscape is my favorite of the Escape Room in Your Home series, and that hasn't changed at all. In fact, I have to admit, we've, Jen and I have played so many of them now, we're kind of getting burned out, or at least I am getting burned out, on the Exits and the Unlock series. But Deckscape, I will always keep coming back to happily. 
And what's really interesting about this new one, Pirate's Island, is that it is competitive. And I don't think this is the first escape room in your home that has tried to introduce this, where players are basically running through separate escape rooms. Are we trying to race? Uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to, you know, to finish it. I think that's very, very cool. Uh, if for no other reason than just to try something new and really shake up the formula. Now, I will feel kind of sad about it because since we play games only two-player, I think that will make arguably the game a little bit weaker because obviously a big part of the joy of escape rooms is solving puzzles with your friends and family and loved ones and all that. And now, Jen and I, well, I'm going to be trying to escape mine and you're going to be trying to escape yours. And we probably won't be able to work together. I am kind of bummed about that, but I love Deckscape so much, I'm willing to give it a try. I suspect this will be much better if you have four or six players so that it breaks up into two teams so you can still have that teamwork feel. But regardless, more Deckscape is a good thing in my book, and them really trying to reinvent the wheel and come up with a new way to experience these games? Sure, sign me up for Deckscape Duel. Pirate Island. Alrighty, then we move on to the next one, which is a Fox in the Forest duet. Now, sadly, I missed uh, The Fox in the Forest, which, as I understand it, is a phenomenal two-player-only trick-taking game. I'm really hoping to get a chance to recover it for the show at some point in the future. But... As interested as I have been in that, I mean, it came out a while ago because I've heard nothing but great things about it. I'm much more interested in Duet because this it re-implements A Fox in the Forest as a two-player trick-taking game. But what they've done is they have made it cooperative. And a co-op, two-player-only trick-taking game? Oh yeah, baby. I am definitely interested in that. Especially because there was another co-op trick-taking game that came out last year in 2019, The Crew, which I've heard nothing but uh, accolades for. Apparently it's the bee's knees, it's the cat's pajamas. Who knew cooperative trick-taking could be the greatest thing of all time? Right now it's only available in German, so I haven't really sought it out uh, but I am looking forward to a, uh, a cute, adorable little foxes in a forest working together. Yes, please. I mean, I would have been interested in this anyway, but based on just how well-received the crew has been, the idea of cooperative tick-taking, and one that can work for two players, which is rare enough in the trick-taking world, is very, very interesting, which is why it makes the list. But then we move on to Chrono Corsairs. Now, um, actually, I probably... I didn't think about this, but I probably should have put this alongside Time Stories because this is another time-traveling game. What with the chrono and the big hourglass on the uh, book cover. Here's the interesting thing about this game. Um, if I must mourn the loss of the Groundhog Day nature of Time Stories, hooray, it will be back in Chrono Corsairs because this is a game where a rowdy group of pirates who are out searching for buried treasure on a treasure island and doing all kinds of piratey things, um, they are stuck in a temporal loop, reliving the same day over and over and over again. Which means at the end of the round, hopefully you, uh, you've you programmed your uh, uh, pirates because this is like a, a everybody, I think, simultaneously chooses orders and issues the orders at the same time and then everybody sees what everybody does. Um, at the end of the day, the, the board, the island, will reset and then we'll do it again knowing a little bit more about what awaits us on the island. I love this idea. I love Groundhog Day. I love the concept of learning more slowly over time. And I love programming games too. And I'm pretty sure that's what this... Yeah, an action cue. 
So, this game has a lot going for it. I am really intrigued by it. It's from Tasty Minstrel Games, so I fully expect the production will be stellar, and I love all the ideas that are here. I like pirates, especially pirates who aren't out just trying to steal from each other all the time. Fingers crossed there's not too much player versus player here, but I love time travel. I love time loops, so I am super keen on Chrono Corsairs. But we're not done with time travel, folks, because after that comes followers. Now, this is on the list because it is from publisher, the Russian publisher, Cosmodrome Games. And these guys have just been on fire for the last couple of years. Two years ago, they had Smartphone Inc. Last year, they had Aquatica and, oh, the robot game, which I can't think of the name of anymore, but it's from the same designer. Oh, man. But uh, long story short, this little publisher that could, coming out of Russia, has really established themselves as a publisher to watch because they just put out phenomenal game after game after game for the last few years. This is their, what so far what they've announced for 2020, looks like it's another big box game, and it is all about time travel. Time travel combined with mythology. So that's right there, very, very intriguing. And as I understand it, a big part of this game has to do with the fact that, oh, when I'm in the past, I make changes that will ripple forward in time. And so uh, the present and the future versions of the game will be affected by what I do in the past. So automatically I'm intrigued by that. And I'm also intrigued by the fact that they promise a unique electronic device to help micromanage the whole process. So that when you're making changes in one time zone, the device will automatically keep track of what's happening in other time zones. I wonder why they're doing a device and not just a smartphone app. I don't know. But suffice to say, like I said earlier, I love the melding of the digital and the analog. I love time travel. And these days, I think I love Cosmodrome. So followers definitely had to make the list. But if we move on, I think we'll leave time travel uh, behind us for a while and go to Venice. So it's been a while since we've seen a game from Andre Novak, but man, I love this guy's designs. Ever oh, and um, he's teaming up with Dave Turchi. I love his designs as well. So the two of them combining, although for all I know, Dave might only be doing the solo mode, which I think it mentions here. He's doing the solo. So, but I mean, Shavi uh, 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 Boards didn't get mentioned. So regardless, these are two designers. I really enjoy their work. I don't know what Brain Crack is. Does that mean Andre has now started a new company? Uh, I'll have to look into more of that. But the important thing is, my wife loves Venice. We spent a week there many, many years ago and still have such fond memories. And so this game, which is all about moving your gondolas through the canals, and from the description here, it has kind of a Moncala feel, where as you move, wherever you end up, you activate that space, but you also have the potential to activate spaces as you move, but you don't want to move along the same areas where other players have their gondolas, because then they will gossip about you. It sounds very, very interesting. And like I said, I have been so enamored of so many of Andre's previous designs. Um, you know, uh, Progress and Praetor and, uh, you know, and, and there are a few more that I am so happy to see him returning to the Eurogame sphere and working with Dave, who... I don't know, full disclosure, I should say, I do consider a friend. Uh, but that aside, he is also a phenomenal designer as well. So, Venice, I am very stoked for. But if we move on, we get to Tekenu Obelisk of the Sun. 
And so, this is Dave again. And again, I don't know if Dave's just going to be working on the solo version, and this is mostly uh, Daniele Taschini design, but this is effectively the third game in a row, three years in a row, where Daniele has worked with Board and Dice... Uh, formerly NSKN. And this is, I think, the capper of what is effectively a dice drafting trilogy from Daniele. First, you had Teotihuacan. Then last year, you had Trismegistus. And now we have Tekhenu, which again is dice drafting. And this description of the game, you can pause it if you want to read it. I have to admit, I have not even read. This is so long. There is so much detail here. That's all very, very cool. Other publishers, you could learn a lot from this to try to get people more excited. But honestly, they could have just, you know, they had me at Danielle Tassini dice drafting because the previous two games were fantastic. So I am definitely interested in Tekenu Obelisk of the Sun. Cannot wait to see uh, what he gives us this time drafting those dice because dice drafting is my favorite gameplay mechanism of all time. So woohoo for Tekenu. But then we move on. And we've got Floor Plan. I'm not ashamed to admit, folks, I love Roll and Writes. The tactile nature of it, the sense of permanence, you know, the fact that when I make a move, well, I can't just, oh, let me just put the other thing over there because I've written and Yeah, okay, so I could erase and all that stuff, but there is a gravitas to Roll and Writes because you feel like you're really making something permanent. You are writing something down. And if you play with pins like Jen and I normally do, well, there is no undoing those moves. So I love Roll and Writes to begin with. Um, and I also love the idea of Roll and Writes that let me be creative. And we've had a few of these now. Um, Roll and Writes where hey, what I roll allows me not just to fill in blanks on a spreadsheet piece of paper, but instead to basically make a map. Last year we had cartographers, and before that there was, oh, I can't think of it all of a sudden, uh, you know, Dino World, and there's been a few others as well. Um, but I've had issues with all of them in one way or another, so I'm very excited about this one, Floor Plan from Deepwater Games, the same publisher that brought us Welcome To, which was a hugely popular roll and write, or flip and write, I guess is now the established term. Uh, but this one is all about doing your own architectural layout of a house, making a house floor plan. I like that idea a lot. Because um, I, when I was a kid, I used to make maps on graph paper all the time. And not just of dungeons, but of houses and castles and all kinds of stuff like that. So I love the idea of rolling and riding, but also getting to have a little bit of a creative impetus uh, into the overall development of what I'm trying to build in the game. Very excited about this, in part because of the pedigree of the publisher, but just the core idea of floor plan definitely draws me in. But then we move on to hour of need. I'm very excited about this, folks, for two reasons. One, I love superheroes. Again, I am not ashamed to admit that I've loved them all my life and I love them to this day. Yeah, I cried like a baby at Endgame. Don't at me. But um, I'm always looking for more superheroes and... What the other thing that makes me so excited about this game is, it is from the Sadler brothers, Adam and Brady. And these two guys have definitely established themselves as designers to watch. They have put out a series of games that in previous years, in decades before, would have mostly been Ameritrashy style games, but they have always found ways to build in lots of very cool Euro cool Euro-y mechanisms. And so I've always been impressed by every one of their games they played, but I've always been so sad that they do still rely on the crutch of dice roll to resolve, which to me is 
it's literally weak sauce. Um, I, I think there we have come so far in board game development that just saying, hey, after I make all my plans and we got it, okay, now just roll the dice and see if the dice let me do what I want to do. Not interested. So, as much as I've respected all their designs, I've covered a few of them, they've always been passes for me and Jed because of the dice. And so, when I saw their next game coming, I'm like, oh, it's probably going to be more of the same. But then, I look down here, and um, it doesn't say anything about dice rolling mechanisms. And there is a picture of the board, and there's no dice anywhere here. There's no dice at all shown in the image of the game set up. And so, folks... While it does, in fact, say that there are dice, um, there's no real talk about it in the description. And so, my hope, my fervent, deep, deep desire is that Adam and Brady have finally decided to abandon Roll to Resolve. If they have, this will probably go into my top 10 most anticipated. If they haven't, it will go off the list entirely. And so since it, the outcome is unknown, but I am cautiously optimistic, I'm keeping it right here in the middle of the list. Hour of Need, uh, I'm sure it'll be a really great cooperative superhero adventure game. I'm sure the gameplay will be solid. Uh, really cool, fun, combo-tastic stuff. Fingers crossed, they have, for this brand new exciting decade, they have decided to um, enter undiscovered country from a design perspective for them and uh, come up with a way to resolve combat other than just rolling dice and crossing your fingers. I'm certainly crossing my fingers for our in need. But now, let's move on to the Lions of Lydia. One reason and one reason only this is on the list. It's all I need. Johnny Pack Canton, or Johnny Pack, as he is also known. He had such an amazing year in 2019. Three stellar games coming out. Sierra West, um, Fistful of Meeples, and one of my top ten games of the year, Coloma. And right out of the gate, he is following that up with Lions of Lydia, which is apparently it's a bag-building game. A bag-building engine builder. Yay, I like those kind of things. And I love this setting um, having to do with the dawn of currency in the ancient world. That is a very intriguing idea. There could be so much stuff. You know, humanity, society, switching away for, from straight barter systems into a monetary system. I, I can imagine lots of ways that that would work its way into the design, and I can't wait to see what he did. Honestly, I don't need to read the rest of this description. You can pause and read it yourself if you want, if you're watching this in video form, because it occurs to me now, I'll also have this in the uh, podcast. So sorry, Folks are only hearing this in the podcast. Um, but suffice to say, Johnny Pack is doing a bag builder about the dawn of currency in society. And uh, yeah, the guy is on fire after last year. I cannot wait to see what he comes up with. So that is the Lions of Lydia. And then moving right along, we've got Rocket Men which immediately puts Rocket Man in my head. That's probably the only thing I'm going to have to complain about is that it will just hardwire my brain and dr drill that earworm in there. But at least it's a good one. I mean, who doesn't love Rocket Man? Uh, um, I'm not going to start singing it, though. Uh, I don't want a YouTube strike against me. But Martin Wallace is back doing Euro-y goodness. I think Martin Wallace is certainly one of, deservedly known as one of the greatest designer of modern board games there is. Uh, the man is just a genius. And while it is heartbreaking for me that so many of his designs really don't work for me in Jen, because he loves a bit of the old ultraviolence, a little bit of players just trying to rip each other to shreds, occasionally he will give us a bit of wonder. 
like London or uh, Railways of the World, um, which is just a wonderful game where players are just not trying to tear each other down, but just push themselves forward towards victory. And so, this is one of those games, so I'm excited. But that's not all that I'm excited about. This is a deck builder. And his previous deck builders, which unfortunately were... Um, oh, I can't think of the names of them now. Uh, they're, 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 it, was, it was... Oh, man. This is driving me nuts. He's done two deck builders in the past that were brilliant, but they were both... Uh, area control, skirmishy warfare battle type things. He's taking that out, just focusing on the deck building now. Hooray! And he is telling the story of today's modern space race. Uh, I am... Don't get me wrong. I love all the games we've been having over the last few years that are talking about, you know, the golden age of space exploration. You know, the the USSR and the USA racing back in the 50s and 60s. That's wonderful, fertile ground. But I have to admit, I am much more interested in what's happening today. So I'm very excited to see a space game that is about the uh, exploits and advancements that are made today. But all of that aside... Actually, I got to talk with Martin a few weeks ago when I saw him at Dice Tower Con in November. He was there, and he was demoing a lot of his upcoming games, including this one. So I got to see it firsthand. And what makes me most excited about it is his approach towards deck building, because Dominion has described the uh, the standard structure of a deck builder is you build up more and more cards of the deck, and you always have to make tough choices about putting scoring cards in that will clog up your deck and action cards in and trying to find the right balance. In this game, you are filling your deck up with cards, but throughout the game, you are pulling these uh, cards out of your deck to put them on deck to uh, basically represent research and preparation for the space missions you're going to launch. And so, you are constantly at once, building up and tearing apart your deck non-stop. Thinning your deck out by preparing projects so you can get to other stuff that you need to drive you to get other things. And eventually, when a project launches, all those cards you had set aside go back in your deck. So your deck has this roller coaster ride that it goes through that I think is very, very exciting. A really fresh new idea for deck building from Mr. Wallace. And so, Rocket Men, I am obviously very, very very excited about this one. And hopefully he works space elevators in, because when I talked to him, he hadn't put that in yet, and he thought, or no, not space elevators, the uh, space gyroscope. Oh, anyway, sorry, that's neither here nor there. I'm excited about Rocket Men, but I'm even more excited about artificial intelligence. And this is from Sentiero and Soledad, uh, Nuno and Paolo, and these guys made such a splash years ago when they came out with Panamax, and then right afterwards, they followed that up with Madeira. And they've done a few other games uh, over the ensuing years as well, but they have so thoroughly established themselves as, you know, top-of-the-heap, brilliant designer of crazy, heavy, complex, crunchy Euro goodness, strongly driven by theme, really bringing stories to life, and, uh, you know, creating wonderful stuff. And they are working, again, with What's Your Game, which, as a publisher has established themselves as the premier heavy Euro publisher on the market. Don't go wrong, they definitely have competition, but, you know, the combination of their design, uh, you know, editorial chops, plus their production values, really puts What's Your Game at the top of their game. And so... Everybody getting... It's like the band getting back together to make a new super heavy Euro about an incredibly exciting subject. Um, You know, certainly very appropriate considering the new decade we're moving into. 
artificial intelligence and the upcoming technological singularity where AI truly breaks through and becomes smarter than us. And as some people fear, we end up with a Skynet situation. But as this game proposes and the uh, what I tend to think of more, we move closer and closer to our Star Trek future of you know complete and total... Um, Oh, what do you call the the lack of resource scarcity and a bright and bold future where uh, well, actually I love how they said it where the AI solves the problems we didn't even knew we had. So this is a game about the early days of that and the corporations that are trying to profit off of this because you know at the moment the technology we won't have given up our old ways we won't quite have that uh, post scarcity Star Trek utopia but this game tells the story of how we get there set in the year 2090 from a uh, you know one of the best design duos in the industry from one of the best publishers in the industry artificial intelligence this has been coming for a long time fingers crossed this is the year we finally get to play AI alrighty then we move on to quantified. This, again, talk about a timely game subject matter. This is a game uh, that casts players uh, in a just-the-day-after-tomorrow society, or in some places in the world, you could argue, in the society in certain places in the world today. Why is that? Because in this world, we live in a society where all of our daily lives are 100% monitored by the government. And based on what we do, we get social rankings that give us access to different levels of what society has to offer us. Sound familiar to anybody? Yes, this is happening in the world today. And Quantified is a game that takes a long, hard look at the impact of this to society. Just that right there. Uh, makes me want to play this game because this is a game that has something to say about our world. As we move in to a bold new decade where this is going to become more commonplace unless society rejects it, um, and right now, we are showing no signs of rejecting this. We have new generations of you know, Gen Zers and uh, Millennials that have grown up with uh, you know their every move monitored because they broadcast them on Facebook. So, is this our future? I don't know. But I'm excited to try this game to explore what this future means. Because, interestingly, this is a cooperative game where all players are trying to ensure that um, every facet of humanity, every strata layer in society benefits in this new utopia of sorts. Um, because by default, things tend to uh, go better for people who are in better situations. And, you know, the immigrants, the uh, lower on the uh, on the totem pole, they tend not to get to share. And so, cooperatively, what we're doing in this game is trying to pull everybody up. And be a little subversive at the same time. Because a lot of the actions we can do, well, they don't fit with the government's idea of what is a perfect modeled society. And as we do what we need to do to help everybody, that can knock us down lower into the social strata. These are very, very cool ideas that I am personally very, very interested in as a subject matter. And I love the idea of a board game allowing us to explore them. And that's why Quantified makes the list. But Quantified is not alone, because after that, we've got Inner Compass. This is not a game uh, about, uh, you know, uh, uh, nanny state, totalitarian, utopia, whatever you want to call it. This is not a 1984 game, but this is another game that really digs deep thematically into 
the real modern world we live in because this is a game from actually from a really great design duo, uh, uh, Daniel Peterson and Oscar Granerud, who had a great year last year with Bloomtown and Oh, this is going to drive me nuts. They had like three really solid games. And the only one I can think of is Bloomtown at the moment. But hey, you can go look them up. Uh, I covered them all, I believe. But anyway, they had a great year last year. And this is a really good start because this is a game that, to be honest, is kind of abstract-ish. Uh, but what it does is it explores or lets you take the role of players trying to find emotional balance in their lives uh, and uh, you know and, and, and finding out who they are and you know riding the roller coaster of their emotional highs and lows all through a basically an abstract strategy card drafting uh, game. And I love this. There was a game a few years ago from a friend of mine and a friend of his put out called And Then We Held Hands, which was another abstract game uh, which was uh, about players trying to work together through to, to maintain a relationship, going through rocky times. And every, most everything was abstracted out. It was really just most about emotional communication and fidelity. It seems like that's what this game is as well. As it declares, it is a bold experiment in determining your personal inner compass. I don't know how well, I don't know if that's just marketing speak and it lets you, it gives you an insight into yourself. Because I have to admit, I haven't actually looked at how this game works at all. Uh, but it says it's an abstract game. Looking at the game, it looks like it's a bunch of colors that probably represent different emotional states. I know there's set collection and I think there's card drafting and whatnot. Long story short, you had me at Oscar and Daniel. Then you had me again at you know emotional exploration of uh, you know of what it means to be human. Cool, cool stuff coming. Oddly enough, from uh, Alderac Entertainment, AEG. They're really known more for their um, you know Thunderstony type stuff. So this is a really big departure for them, which makes it even more interesting to me. It must be great for them to. Um, abandon their normal bread and butter and try such a far-out experimental theme of game. Hence, my incredible enthusiasm for Inner Compass. Alrighty, moving right along, we've got... Ah! We're down to the top 10, folks. Um, my number 10 is The School of Sorcery. And if you're actually looking at the video, you can see I've actually given this 10 stars. I'm not saying this is a 10-star game. I haven't actually played it. I just used that. I'll have to I'll to get rid of this afterwards. I just used that to remember when I hit number 10 on the list. I'm in my top 10, everybody. And number 10, School of Sorcery from Steve Finn. If you're a longtime fan of my show, you know I am a longtime fan of Steve Finn, the king of the filler. He is just quietly doing his own little design production house, Dr. Finn Games. And the thing about School of Sorcery is, this is revisiting, uh, maybe, certainly his greatest game that he himself has published. Uh, arguably, Biblios is still the top of the heap, but that was, you know, he published that through others. And, but the Institute of Magical Arts is such a wonderful two-player dueling area control game, which might sound like the antithesis of what my wife Jen and I would enjoy, but it's a testament to how amazing Institute for Magical Arts is that we love it. And so Steve is revisiting it, giving it a slight retheme, School of Sorcery, and I don't really know what is changing. Quite frankly, nothing has to change. I just hope more people get to experience the wonderful gameplay of this game, because it's just phenomenal. If you want to know why, you can go back and watch the run-through I did years ago. Um, but uh, I, I'm just thinking about playing it with Jen. just puts a smile on my face. We've had so much fun with it. I am kind of bummed, because... 
Really, Institute for Magical Arts so deserves to be rethemed with the Harry Potter theme and just become one of the biggest games in the universe because it's so good. Obviously, that's not happening, but hey, I'm just happy more people will get to play via School of Sorcery, my number 10 most anticipated game of the year. And now, moving on to number 9, we have Cosmic Colonies. Now, this is one of several Kickstarter games I covered last year, and I covered a whole bunch, and I'll revisit most of them when I do the podcast, but there were a few of the Kickstarter games. I mean, they were all good games. They were all fun, but there were a few that really spoke to me and Jen that we loved so much, and I'm going to talk about them right now, starting with number nine, Cosmic Colonies. This is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is maybe Scott Alm's greatest design to date, and he has designed dozens of games that people love to pieces. Um, but Cosmic Colonies is him just working on another level. In a, in a nutshell, it is a card drafting game crossed with a polyomino tile laying style game. You can watch my run through to see how it plays, but it does so many brilliant things. The coolest thing about this, unlike most card drafting games that borrow from Seven Wonders or Sushi Go, the idea of, oh, I've got a bunch of cards. I'll play one and then give you the rest. In this game, I will play, actually every round you play two of them, and then I'll hold on to the ones I didn't play and give you the ones I played. And if I played those, those must have been the best. And if I play those, I know I'm giving them to you. And if you see me play those, you know those cards are coming to you in the future. This is so brilliant. It so turns card drafting on its head. I can't imagine why. Maybe it has come sooner. I just never saw it. But it's brilliant in Cosmic Colonies. And then, if all that weren't enough, the polyomino tiling, Tetrisy type stuff of building a colony on a uh, on an asteroid, a mining colony, is brilliant as well. Either one of these games would have been amazing on their own. Combining the two of them together, mwah! It's my number nine most anticipated game, Cosmic Colonies. Then we've got number eight, Calico. Oh, wow. This just came out of nowhere and blew us away when I covered it on Kickstarter last year. And by the way, I guess it's, I, it, I, I probably should say for these two games, these were paid previews. I was paid to cover them. But you know what? That's... That's last decade. Now, um, I don't think you have to worry about because I'm just talking about what I personally am super duper stoked excited about. I loved all of the games that we played on Kickstarter, although a lot of them just didn't weren't really good fits for me in Jen, and I always explained why, uh, even when I was paid. But Calico blew us away. If it had come out last year, it would have made my top 10 of the year. Uh, and so it's an early odds-on favorite for top 10 of 2020. And what is it? It's a super simple tile-laying, tile-drafting game where players are trying to make quilts and make adorable kittens happy. And that may sound really sweet and saccharine and gateway family-friendly-ish, but don't be fooled. This game is devious just how deep and crunchy it is. One of the best tile-laying puzzles I ever played. Loved it to pieces. Cannot wait uh, to get a final retail instead of the prototype we played. My number eight, and I know that because I've, I've given it eight stars. Again, after I'm done, I'll have to mark that out because I haven't really played the final thing. But my number eight, Calico. Then we go on to number seven, Sleeping Gods, which I also covered on, um, on a Kickstarter last year. A lot of people consider Near and Far to be Ryan Lockett's masterpiece, and with good reason. I think when Sleeping Gods come out, it might supplant it. Uh, because this is an epic game of exploration and adventure. Kind of almost feels like... Remember Land of the Lost? 
the Saturday morning show from the 60s where a family got uh, thrown into this crazy kind of alternate dimension where time, or it seemed out of time and there were just weird uh, mixes of stuff. That's the world you find yourself in as you're trying to get back home. You're all the crew of a ship. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. You deal with all kinds of stuff. It's a big old storybook and a separate book for a map book. And it is just full of greatness. And as much as Jen and I were impressed when we played it originally in prototype form, I talked with Ryan at BoardGameGeekCon uh, last year, and he showed me he has made significant changes to the game, uh, including adding a whole new worker placement element that was not there when I did my run-through. So, I'm as excited as anybody to try it out again and see how he has evolved the formula moving forward, because like I said, I think this is going to eclipse near and far, which is really saying something, because that was already a brilliant game. And, folks, it's cooperative. It's Ryan's first really big push. He's done a little bit of cooperative stuff here and there, but this is all cooperative, and it's great to see him grow as a designer and try new things. So, uh, Sleeping Gods, my number seven most anticipated game of the year. Then let's move on to number six. Uh, Mercado de Lisboa. And hey, everybody. It's everybody's favorite Euro designer, Vita Lasarda. Oh, man. Uh, Vital is... Now, actually, everything I said earlier uh, about uh, Nuno and Paulo, uh, when I was talking about AI, about how you know, they are the cream of the crop, the top of the hill in terms of really rich, thematic, crunchy Euros... Everything I said about them goes equally or even more so for Vita Lasarda, who is the true king of the crunchy, heavy, uh, thematic, uh, but incredibly elegant and yet incredibly complex at the same time, Euro. And this is going to be his new game coming this year. And interestingly, he's got a co-designer, which I assume means that really Mercado is the design of Julian Pombo and um, Vital is helping out. But I don't know that. I don't have any inside information. What's more interesting to me is this is billed as a thinky filler. So, this is not going to be the next Kanban or Lisboa or Vinos. Big, crazy, heavy, epic, multi-hour games that just make our brains melt down. I'm really looking forward. I am hoping for something that is big and epic and heavy and makes our brain melt down, but that we get done in 15 to 30 minutes. That sounds awesome to me. So I cannot wait to see what these guys have come together. So much so that it is my number six, Mercado de Lisboa. Then we move on to number five, Perseverance, the Castaway Chronicles. I've been waiting for this one for years. This is the next big, big, super explosion board game experience from Mind Clash Games. And they have set themselves up as the premier chrome-filled Euro publisher in the industry because they, in their designs, well, they do phenomenal uh, presentation and components and all that, but they don't just go overboard with the production values. They always go overboard with the actual design themselves and just layer in mechanism after mechanism after mechanism. And they always end up producing amazing stuff like Anachrony or Tricarian. Um, I, I didn't play the, more, the most recent one because it had too much player versus player uh, for our taste, so that was kind of a bummer, but I am definitely interested in their next one coming this year, Perseverance, because 
Here's the setting, folks. This could be. This is another game that has kind of a Land of the Lost type feel, where in this game, an entire luxury liner of uh, tourists ends up washed up on this uh, island that time forgot, where there's still dinosaurs running around. And the, this game takes place over multiple generations. Uh, because these people, once they're shipwrecked, they are never going to escape this island. And so... They uh, grow up. Their kids grow up. Their kids' kids grow up. And they have to build an entirely new civilization in a harsh and unforgiving landscape. That's awesome. I am very intrigued by that subject matter. I mean, talk about something that we, as regular modern board game fans, can really project ourselves into. This is definitely something you can imagine. Well, what would it be like if I found myself in this circumstance? Um, You know, this crazy far-out thing. So... I'm really intrigued by the concept. I'm very enthusiastic about the publisher and the designers. Um, you know, oh, oh, actually, yeah, uh, Thomas Van Ginst and uh, you know Victor and I think Dave Turchy is in it again. Uh, let's see, and I don't know where that opened. But anyway, so there's a bunch of designers. I'm not quite sure why. Opening full mode. I'm oh, probably opening a different window. Whatevs. So. This is very exciting. I love the subject matter. The art looks like it's got really great presentation. I cannot wait to see what Mind Clash comes up again. That is Perseverance, the Castaway Chronicles. Then we move on to number four, Dice Realms. This is from Tom Lehman. And while uh, Res Arcana, Res Arcana did not make my personal top 10 of 2019, I could certainly make an argument that it was the best game to come out in 2019 in an objective sense, evaluating the core mechanisms and what that game was able to accomplish with very minimalist approach to design. I was so floored by what Tom created there. And so uh, he's done an expansion for it, you know, whatevs. What's moving on forward is this year he's going to be doing something completely different Dice Realms. And this is interesting because this is going to be the latest game that uh, introduces the idea of customizable dice over the course of the game. You pop dice faces out and smash new ones onto there so your dice grow and evolve over the course of the game. And I saw an interview where Tom talked about how he worked with dice dra- or dice building a little bit with the expansion for Roll Through the Galaxy, and he was so intrigued by it, he wanted to make an entire game. And so what he's done is it looks to me almost like he's revisiting some of the ideas of Favor of the Pharaoh. Um, but introducing dice drafting. And the interesting thing is, apparently, this game comes with 650 die faces uh, across 72 different categories of die faces, three custom trays to hold them all, uh, all kinds of stuff. This is probably going to be the biggest, most ambitious dice crafting game that has ever come out. And there have been some really cool ones. You know, uh, was it, uh, not Dice Throne. Uh, Oh, I can't think of it. But they're, uh, yeah. Uh, is it? No, Dice Forge, up till now, has been my favorite of them. Uh, and I really like the dice crafting that Tom did. But I cannot wait for this. Uh, because, again, Ray's Arcana was amazing. Our only problem with it, with it was that there was too much player... Not necessarily messing with each other, but creating threat of messing with each other. There was always just too much of the threat of player violence in that game for our taste. Fingers crossed... This is a little bit more live and let live. I'm making my dice realm. You're making your dice realm. We just keep our people happy and um, successful as we get 650 die faces we can snap into our customized dice. That's crazy. That is very exciting, very ambitious, and it's my number four most anticipated game of the year. 
dice realms. Then we move on to number three, more dice with trois dice. Now, um, trois is still, or troyes, if uh, if you prefer the more common way to pronounce it instead of the Frenchy sort of way to do it. Although apparently, even it's supposed to, you're supposed to hear the R when you say trois, but I can't do it. Uh, I just I cannot hear the French R in my uh, when people say it properly. But anyway, long story short. Trois is in my top 10 favorite games of all time. Uh, the heir apparent to Trois, Black Angel came out last year and it made it in my top 10 of the year. So I love Trois. Now here's the interesting thing. Uh, Trois Dice was actually released at a convention, I think, two years ago as a little promo giveaway roll and write game. And, um, you know, so only people who went to this one particular convention got it, but it spread like wildfire and people photocopied and, and, you know, it was entered on a board game geek and people started downloading and making their own. And, uh, you know, people were really excited about it. But, um, you know, the designer publisher said, wait, 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 no, we, we fully plan on, on making this a shipping game. Please stop doing that, everybody. We would like to charge you money for it for a high quality, full production. You know, that was just kind of testing the waters. And so, Trois Dice, as as quickly as it popped up, it disappeared. And we're finally getting, it's finally resurfacing now in 2020 as a full big box. I think this is still a roll and write, isn't it? Uh, yep, it is a roll and write. And, uh, yeah. I love Trois. Trois is one of the greatest dice drafting games of all time. As I said earlier, dice drafting is my favorite gameplay mechanism of all time. So fingers crossed, uh, crossed, I'm getting Trois, uh, fingers crossed that this will live up to the pedigree of what has come before. I cannot wait to find out my number three most anticipated game, Trois Dice. Um, but we're almost done, folks. And next one, this is the craziest one on the list, potentially. And it's going to come out of nowhere for most people. My number two most anticipated game of the year is Adventure Inc., The Five Factions of Filigree. And here is the deal. This is an adventure roll-and-write game. I mentioned a few times, I really like roll-and-write games. And um, full disclosure, this game is being designed uh, and developed and ultimately published by a friend of mine uh, in real life. And here's why I'm so excited. Well, one, I'm excited that one of my friends gets to publish a game he's been working on for years. That, in its, of course, anybody would be excited about that. But here's the real reason I'm interested in Adventure Inc. Aside from the fact that I love fantasy, um, adventure, cooperative stuff, and I love Roll and Write, and I love the idea of melding those ideas together. Um, you know, I, that's all really great too. But here's the thing. Uh, Andrew, my friend, has been working on this for I don't know how many years now. And in all this time, at least monthly and often weekly, he will call me up and say, hey, I want to throw this idea by you. Um, and at first I was like, okay, I, 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 you know, he knows I know a lot about games. I play a lot of games. He's always asked me, have you ever played a game like this? Because I really like this idea and this and that and the other. And it started out that way. But at some point over the many, many months where he kept asking me for feedback on the mechanisms and ideas and whatnot, at one point he eventually told me, you know, I'm designing this game for you and Jen, right? I'm like, whoa! So, obviously, Adventure Inc. is, um, well, I'm a little embarrassed it's not my number one most anticipated game, but we'll get to my number one in a minute. I am so excited about it because I know a lot of what is going into this game. A lot of the design of this game came out of this brain. This game is probably the closest I will ever get to the rest of my life 
or for the rest of my life to actually designing a game. Because for those of you who don't know, I was a professional video game designer for almost two decades. Um, and I don't design games anymore. I, I'm very burned out, and uh, people are always saying, when are you going to design a uh, board game? I'm not going to do it. But Adventure Inc., you could consider that. Um, you know, he's asked, and I've always said, no, 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 I, I don't need co-design credits or anything like that. I'm just more than happy to help him out because he is a, a, a close personal friend of mine. I love the guy. And all of that aside, there is so much amazing content in this game because you might think, oh, it's an adventure roll and write. That means it's just a simple little trifle like most roll and writes. He set out from the get-go to make a roll and write that is deep and as rich as Gloomhaven, with so much stuff, you know, a kitchen sink kind of design. And, you know, he's always throwing more ideas in, and he's always asking me, I really should pair this back, shouldn't I? And I just keep saying, did uh, Isaac Childress pair it back on, um, you know, on uh, Gloomhaven? Do the guys at Mind Clash pair it back when they make their big games? So, if he sticks to his guns, and I haven't seen the final, he's still working on it. He's probably working on it right now, because he's just been obsessed with it. Uh, well, this could be the greatest game of all time uh, because it's been scientifically designed to scratch every itch Jen and I have ever had. So, obviously, obviously, I am very, very excited about Adventure Inc. The Five Factions of Filigree. Which, by the way, uh, the game is actually called Adventure Inc. The Five Factions of Filigree is intended to be his first... Uh, adventure module, and then there'd be because the town is called Filigree, and there's five different factions. And uh, you know, in future, he might go into different portions of the world because he's making a whole new fantasy world with new creatures and not just uh, retreading. You know, a very uh, gloomhavish in that regard. Uh, again, long story short, I could easily do an hour talking about all the specific stuff I know about this game and how it's evolved over the last couple of years, but. All I'll say right now is, fingers crossed. I know he's hoping on getting this on Kickstarter later in the year, and actually early in the year, he's going to be putting out another game he's been talking about and working on for several years called Plunderous. And actually, Plunderous looks really cool too, but you know what? I'm going to talk about that on the podcast, because uh, it, you know, he hasn't designed that one specifically for me and Jen, but... I've had a lot of say in that one also, because I've given him a lot of feedback, and there's a lot of really cool ideas. So come back in the podcast, and you'll hear about his other game. Uh, and depending on how well Plunderous does, uh, we'll determine whether he could then you know, get that thing fulfilled and then move on to Adventure Inc. Fingers crossed he does, because it could be the greatest game of all time, for my taste. But anyway, uh, still, even though that's number two, that leaves us with one more game to go. What could possibly beat a game that a smart designer has designed specifically to scratch all my itches? Well, there's one itch that uh, Andy is not scratching here, uh, but but the uh, my number one does. My City. Um, oh, it's, and it's not that it's a city-building game. Of course, I love city-building games. That's all fine and dandy. It's not that this is a Reiner Knizia design, although I tend to really love, or at the very least, admire and respect Reiner Knizia designs. It is the fact that this is a legacy game. And hey, where have all the legacy games been? Uh, we had some good stuff last year, and it looks like, at this point anyway, uh, My City is pretty much the only one on this list of 25 games that is a straight-up legacy. What is it? You will play through 24 game levels and make permanent uh, you know, changes to the world and all that stuff. There's no description here at all. It's a competitive legacy game in which you develop your own city uh, through the ages. Over 24 game levels, you experience challenges again and again. That's the entire description. 
But you know what? You had me at Reiner Knizia making a city-building legacy-style title. I couldn't not put that in the number one spot because I love games that have me make permanent, never-changing building legacies in games. I love it to pieces. And Reiner Knizia's never done anything like this. And he tends, when the first time he ever did a deck builder, it's very different than all the other deck builders out there. He tends, when he approaches new things, to come at them from a different point of view. And so I'm very excited about what his take on Legacy is. Because we've already had Legacy City. We had Charterstone, and we had um, Queensdale. So this is the third one. And uh, what will he do that the other games didn't do? I don't know, but I can't wait to find out. Which is why my city is my number one most anticipated game of the year. And that's it, folks. Phew, how long has this been? 53 minutes to go through 25 excited games. But like I said, that's just the start. I am exhausted now. I'm just going to finish this and upload it and uh, wish everybody one more time, well, uh, Happy New Year. And uh, we'll see you next month as I will continue hopefully running through a few of these games. Fingers crossed. And that's it, everybody. Thanks, as always, for watching. Have a very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye.